Oh man, Jimmy Wong. Oh man, Jimmy Wong in the house. <laughs> is this our intro? <laughs> this is it, dude. Oh, We're cool. here. We're doing it. We made it. it. We have arrived. Dude, thanks for coming out, man. Thanks for inviting me to the Quarter Digital Studio, the podcast studio. I've never been here in this current state, so it's pretty exciting. Heck yeah, oh. dude. We I have got so my much name to on talk the wall about. now. Yeah. Yeah. We do have a lot to talk about. So yeah. much to talk about. How long have we all known each other? Let's start there. Since 2011. Two years. Oh. 2000 years. <laughs> 2011. 2011. Was it 2011. Eight years, yeah. yeah about that's eight years. I first moved to LA in 2011. Clint visited that year when we he played Minecraft on Sam's computer. It was right mm. when Minecraft came out. The same year that we dressed as Minecraft, uh, as Steve for Halloween, right. and everyone thought we were Legos because yep. we were too early. And we went to the Old Spice guys' house for yes. Halloween. Yeah. Really? Wait. Terry Crews or the other guy? Other no, guy. Other guy, oh, yeah, yeah. The original. Terry Crews. Oh, the man on the horse. Got you, got you. Yeah, the uh, horse man. But that's how, yeah, 2011, that's when I first moved to L.A. That's You guys had been here for two years, I think, at that point. Maybe three. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. I just remember Clint digging a pit in Minecraft. Like, that yes, was it was an fun. inverse diamond. <laughs> Dude, I was just too nervous. I was all like, night digging a hole. <laughs> yeah, because, like, I don't know, I didn't know anybody. There's, like, 12 people all gaming in this room, and I'm like, all right, guys, like, I'm just going to dig this pit, and, like, whoever wants to help, I'm over in this corner digging this pit. Yeah. I, I wanted to, like, do something cool, something to impress everybody. <laughs> it out. was grand it scale, and hey, we still all remember it. it still. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so clearly it was impressive. And then I remember, like, I remember you were sitting, like, in the corner over here. Like, yeah, like you were right L. behind me. I was, I had an L-shaped desk right in front of yeah. where Sam's computer was, and Nico was to the left of that, or to the right of that. And mm-hmm. I just remember getting good vibes from you. You, like, look over and be like, yo, sweet pit, dude. Like, <laughs> well, I think like, I was in the game with you, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My think- fondest memories from that are when Sam binged all of Battlestar Galactica and ate Jack in the Box every night for two months. <laughs> I joined him in the Jack in the Box pursuit. I was playing, like, Red Dead Redemption, the first one, every single day. Um, where were you living? Where was it? It like, was upstairs uh, in this same, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the complex. Currently yeah. living in what is now the closet that has the kitty litter and a bunch of boxes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Freddie and I shared the same twin size bed for a year. Yeah. Uh, we would sli- sleep what? foot to head. Uh, and yeah, it th- was in the back area. We're Sam talking about Nico. creating like a, a channel around that where it's just video of you guys sleeping, and it was going to be titled Two Wongs Make a Right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was instant virality. Um, Doesn't Freddie snore like crazy? I stopped him from snoring. I've told people this. I trained him how to stop snoring that entire year. How? Because every single time he would start snoring, it was because of his. You know, like you snore when you're in a different position, and like you're. You know, it gets, like, caught, You're, yeah. you know, in a different angle or whatever. So every time Fred would start snoring, because my foot was right next to his head, I would just boo him. You would kick him in the head? <laughs> well, not the head. Sometimes it would be, like, a friendly nudge to the shoulder. But essentially, I started training him to the point where if he didn't want to get booted, he would have to sleep a certain way. And by the end of the year, he stopped snoring because he just never found himself in the position that he would snore in because I would boot him. So you just sleep like a mummy, dude. He's just like, <laughs> there's only one spot for me to sleep. Any other spot is pain. It's, yeah. It's What's well, funny too, because we had a bunk bed, right? We had this a thing from yeah, IKEA. Yeah, the top was just storage. the top was just all storage. We turned it what? into just storage because it was like two feet from the ceiling. That's how low the ceiling is <laughs> back there, and also because the the walls back there aren't all the way up to the top. If you were sleeping in the top bunk, you could just see out into the rest of the kitchen, maybe even to the next room. Oh wait, but hold on, you're saying it was two feet from the ceiling though? Yeah, and what? then like a foot of like 
You could peek yeah, over. Yeah, you could peek the... over. You had like two feet from the top of the wall to the ceiling, and then the bunk bed was like a foot below that. So if you just sat up, your head would almost touch the ceiling. You could just see out everywhere. I'd, I'd rather do that than like sleep like a freaking mummy, dude. Like... Well, I, Freddie and I just figured it out. I guess we liked it for for that accommodation, oh, uh, and that was a full year. And then we moved down the hallway to where you eventually lived as well. Uh-huh. Um, Did you buy a, be- a new bed? Uh, yes. <laughs> We definitely had new beds at that point. I think I've switched beds like three or four times in LA now. It's pretty annoying. Moving a bed is pain in the ass. Mm. They say you should spend the money on a good mattress that you won't ever regret it. Yes. I, I agree with that actually now having a much better mattress. Mm. And Freddie got a nicer one too. And like occasionally I'll go to his room and be like, oh my gosh, I might need to buy a better <laughs> mattress. I can't fathom buying a mattress online. Like how do you go ahead and purchase like a multi-thousand dollar mattress that are lying on it? Without gauging it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I did it. It's just Amazon. It's just like, hey, this one's comfy. It's got some stars. I'm like, let's well, go. Was it an expensive mattress? Like 800 bucks. That's not a very yeah. expensive mattress as far as mattresses yeah. go. How how expensive do they get? You can get up to like 5K. Yeah. A good mattress is like two to $3,000. Yeah. yeah. Once again, if you think about it, worth it. If worth you're it. You're spending like a, a decade. Yeah, that's why I spent <clears throat> a lot of money on to get a really nice chair, too, oh, because yeah. I spend the majority of my day sitting in it. Yeah. How much do you spend on your chair? Uh, probably... It's eight hours a day minimum. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, how much money I spend on this? So I bought a Herman Miller Aeron, and that's like anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Is that the one that has like the spine for the back? Like all the it's panels? kind of got like a spine. Uh, it's it's you if you go into a lot of corporate offices and stuff these days, every single chair is this chair. It's just like a very. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just it's got the a one Herman like, Miller chair too. It's oh, coming in a few go. days. Oh, right. It's an open door. box deal, so it's sixty percent off. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Where'd you find it? Uh, MadisonSeating.com. It's the only one they had. <laughs> All right. So well. clearly somebody bought it, didn't like it, and gave it back. <laughs> yeah. I agree, though. Yeah, you spend most of your time in bed and in a chair if you're yeah. doing computer work. Uh, um, also, iPhones recently, <clears throat> they do this thing now every week. I don't know if yours does this, where it'll tell you screen time. Yeah. yeah. What's Love your guys' average usage on the phone every day? Three hours. Wow. That's good. Oh, <laughs> I am 200% that, Nico. Really? Yeah, wow. Six hours a day. To be fair, yeah. it doesn't necessarily wow. measure when your phone's just on. Like, Correct. If you're having a phone conversation, that's screen time. If your phone is on and off to the side, that's screen time. If you're eating lunch and it's playing YouTube or something it counts like that. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, that's all, all, but that's all screen time. Like That's all you engaging with your phone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. me, it says like the the ma- the most things that happen are I get like text message notifications or like YouTube notifications, and mm. that's it'll tell you when you pick up your phone and all that stuff too. Yeah. So hey, I don't feel your- that bad because my life does center around the internet. After yeah. All. Don't don't they all? Don't all our lives? Yeah. Clint, what's your screen time? I think it's like an hour and a half or something. What? Yeah. Where's your phone? Take that. Let's look right now. I try and keep it down. <clears throat> Let's like- try, try like get interference. So it's going to be under settings, and if you scroll down on the second bar, it says screen time. And then you can. Okay, so this is like. And then click your name and it'll say last seven days. days. Yeah. Oh, never mind. I'm at four hours, 23 minutes a day. Thank That's goodness. Bad. Oof. That's actually pretty heavy. But it'll tell you what you did the most of. It's I did social networking for 20 hours last week, <laughs> reading for seven, and creativity for four. But I mean, isn't it all creative? Well, depending. <laughs> depending, like, depending right? Uh, I'm at 38 minutes a day. Wait, sorry. Where'd you guys what? go find your screen time? Uh, so it's in under settings, and oh, then you go now. down to screen time. Everyone with an iPhone can do this. It's actually really uh, fascinating. Downtime. This is just today, I think. Oh, no, last seven days. 38 minutes a day? 
try and keep it wow off. And but if you look at Clint's phone, his battery level is currently at thirteen percent for some reason <laughs> at ten in the morning. I hadn't charged it. I forgot <laughs> to charge it last night. So yeah, Clint, you're you're truly the the least user of uh, the oh, sorry the the least active user of your phone, dude. I I took off Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram off my phone. Um, because I would just get, I would find myself just like scrolling. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, what am I doing? And like most recently, I've just found myself going home and practicing Cinema 4D and doing renders. And like that, that is like productive fun. Yeah. For me, you yeah. know. So I, and and eventually, you know, I have a Instagram with photography and whatnot. So when I have pictures to post, I'll install Instagram and I'll <laughs> post the post pictures. Post picture. Yeah. But like, uninstall Instagram. <laughs> Wait for another picture. I, I like know. the idea of installing an app every time you want to use it. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually really put a very interesting. Up. Yeah, you have to log in every single time, verify yeah. two-factor. Oof. But yeah, dude, I haven't been on Facebook in like months. Yeah, yeah, same here. It feels good, though. That's interesting. I don't. I never use Facebook for Facebook. The yeah. thing I use Facebook the most for is Messenger, and then I have a fan page. And then that I'll post to or stream on and do stuff on. Dude, you're, you're on those those Facebook gaming streams. Facebook dude. gaming streams, yeah. A bunch of creators, I don't know if you guys have noticed, are working with Facebook this year uh, uh, to basically stream on their, their pages. Facebook's trying to, of mm-hmm. course, like everyone else, enter the gaming arena. Mm. Uh, best of luck to everyone. It's a tough world out there. I've been like on it. those talk off streams with Freddie. Yes, that's right. It's Kate from Tarkov. Yeah. You guys play a lot of that. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's not really my game. yeah. It looks like a really great game. I don't think it's my my steez. It's cool. <laughs> Real. People can have things they like, and they yeah, have, I agree. have to do the same thing as everybody else's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm like, cool. You play whatever you want. If you want to just run through Doki Doki Literature Club over and over again, you do that. <laughs> you do that. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it, if you grew up playing any sort of games that are similar in nature, you know, like it's because it's got like a dating sim vibe, then you'll really enjoy it because it takes that and like messes with the format. Gotcha. Well, I don't know so what you're talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. Go, Maybe she install go, Facebook yeah. and find out. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it. Uh, so the thing don't is, tell me, Jimmy, don't tell me what to do? What? Uh, don't tell us what to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is that tomorrow we're going in for portraits at the YouTube space. Oh. Uh, apparently they hired a really good photographer. The guy who does all the portraits for the people that get Oscars. Yeah. Um, he's going to be taking our pictures, too. Maybe we'll be holding Oscars as well. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Is that why you all are unshaven? So you're going to shave before tomorrow? Right, because at 4.30 today, Jake and Christian's favorite barber is coming into the studio to give us trims. Wow. Yeah. So I, I let I knew this three months ago. So, so I, are you going to do like a, are you going to do like an Arthur Morgan like full on Western? Yeah. What are you going to do, Clint? I don't know. I think I'm just going to like Get the Colonel. It's getting <laughs> it's getting a little haggard. So it, yeah. It's I think I think maybe just a trim. You yeah. don't want to look too much like PewDiePie, honestly. I'm trying to imagine what PewDiePie looks like. Um, kind of looks like you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, with no beard, I get I get the uh, Snowden. Snowden vibes, right? And then maybe with the beard is PewDiePie. I don't know if any of that's good. I think a good trim <laughs> would do you well, right? I mean, just cleaning it up, getting some straighter edges. Agreed. Not, yeah. not like making a full like. Don't go like the Jake route and actually like make a thing out of no, it. I'm not get those that. hairs off that upper. Looks lip good soon. on Jake. I don't know so much about. Oh, my grandma said that to me once. What? She's like, you gotta get that hair off your upper lip. Uh, <laughs> She's like, you gotta trim that mustache. Get those hairs off your upper lip. It's like, oh no. Oh, okay, Grandma. <laughs> what do you know about fashion, Grandma? She's like, she probably knows a lot about mustaches. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do we want to get into, guys? We what can talk we about many things here. Yeah, mm, let's start from the beginning. Let's. So yeah. we we kind of, we were touching on it, right? We were like talking about when we all met about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to keep going up and like just hit yeah. all hit all the moments and stuff. Yeah. I think this is a perfect opportunity. For Jimmy to give us a little history lesson 
on what the heck is going on with all the different people. Like, wait, Clint, Clint? are you part, are you Node or are you Rocket Jump or are you Corridor are you or are you the Punisher or Jimmy? Wait, aren't you part of Feast of Fiction or are you part of Rocket, Rocket Jump? Jump or, or am I just Freddy's you, brother? Jimmy, yeah, like, Freddy's not my dad. You, Still get that comment today. <laughs> I can't believe he's not your dad. What? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Two years apart, right? Yeah, we're a year and a half apart. Not even two years apart. Mom got busy. Um, so let's break it down. Back when I moved to Los Angeles, Freddie and uh, Sam and Nico and Brandon were all living in the same loft. <clears throat> and this is before Clint knew. Uh, I think Clint may have known of all of us, oh, not yeah. me specifically. I was watching. I was Clint watching. Was in Georgia, Atlanta, all right? Yeah, yeah, I was in. I was in Atlanta watching your guys' videos and stuff. So Freddie graduated from USC alongside Brandon, and you guys are coming from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Fun uh, fact: Brandon actually never graduated. Oh, he didn't. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. Now we know he had he had four credits left, and he didn't want to take another semester just for one class. So he's like, I don't, whatever. Sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The number of times I've shown someone my degree from college is a big fat zero. Yep. And that's uh, after nine years now of being in the business. <laughs> uh, so those, so Freddie and Brand were working together on their YouTube stuff. And so Sam and Nico were as well. And when I came into the equation, I moved in with Freddie because I had nowhere else to live. Um, and the rent was obviously pretty good for being in this part of town at that, at that time of history. Especially being split five ways. Yeah, split five ways, Freddie and I sharing the same bed. Um, and so when I, you got Freddie W and then you got Corridor, right? yeah, they're but doing I, were separate channels. Known as Corridor back then, or is that sort of yeah? Right? Corridor actually started in two thousand nine, and Brandon was actually briefly a part of Corridor. Oh, we I bought guess him out right. for like five hundred bucks because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't end up not wanting to like do what we were doing because we were doing freelance visual effects. At the yeah, time. yeah, we weren't yeah. doing YouTube or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was sort of the the original combination, right? So Freddie mm-hmm. and Brandon obviously knew visual effects as well, and you guys were very good at it. So one of the first collaborations you guys did was that Modern Warfare two shoot which was right outside the studio. And that was like the beginning of a lot of the pattern of videos to, to continue. Mm-hmm. So Freddie and Brandon were on the quest of doing like a viral-esque short video every single week while Sam and Nico were focused on doing longer form, more VFX heavy, but like, uh, I, would say, I would call it more cinematic stuff. Whereas the Freddie W uh, channel with Brandon was much more gaggy in a lot of ways. Uh, and when I came in, I think they had like 2 million subscribers already on YouTube. They're off to a great start. <clears throat> so when I came in, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of YouTube. There's no real acting on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, back then, the only acting I saw was like Shane Dawson doing skits. Mm-hmm. And that was a very different Shane Dawson than the Shane Dawson of today. And I saw that stuff and I was like, this isn't acting. This is just jokey, nothing serious about it. I'm a serious actor. I study drama. So I came to LA to do acting for a full year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during that time, I lived with everyone, watched their channels, continued to explode in popularity and growth and doing all sorts of stuff. Around that time, I think uh, Freddie and Brand did their like uh, US tour in that big van. Yeah. That's when they came out to Georgia. Yes. And I met up with Freddie and Brandon and Brett came out too. Oh, really? And we filmed uh, like... What was it? The last shot? It was like the like the, yes, the longest yeah, yeah, yeah. shot. The long, it, it was or... the ending of a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And Brett was the guy running away, mm-hmm. spilling the cocaine everywhere. Yeah. So that was my bag. first yeah. time being in like a video, and like I knew, like I visited you guys before, like with the Minecraft yep. gaming and whatnot. So that was my first experience. Yeah. So from there, uh, after that, uh, after a year of not doing anything uh, online, I was having minimal success as an actor. I joined the union, did a movie, but it wasn't like you, you know. Were in compared- John dies at the end. Yeah, I was in John Dies at the end. That was the first movie I did that got me Taft Hartley into the union, which is like basically saying like they're just inviting you up kind of much. It's like pulling you into varsity without having to go through JV. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm that good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
So after that, uh, Freddie and Brandon and those guys did the Kickstarter for Video Game High School Season 1, and I started my cooking show, Feast of Fiction, on YouTube, and I started doing music on YouTube as well. So this sort of stuff all happened within the next two to three years. Um, I decided at first that I didn't want to do acting on YouTube because, again, I didn't think it was a, a place to seriously act, so I did music at first. And I did music for a while, and that I released a viral video. I think it was the third video I put out. Ended up going viral as a response to this girl uh, from UCLA that was being pretty racist towards uh, Chinese people in the library. <laughs> and so I released a song to that. It got like national acclaim. It blew me into the spotlight. I had no idea what I was doing, so I felt like I was like in a tidal wave, but sort of tumbling in the middle. You know, mm-hmm. not really in control of what was happening, but mm-hmm. enjoying the ride. Video game high school uh, season one got filmed after that. Uh, this is when Freddie and Bran were still working together. And uh, after, I think at that point, you guys were, you guys had done Prism or Sync? It was one of the two, right? You were starting to work on one of those two. Probably Sync, because Prism was like right at the beginning of our YouTube stuff, whereas like this would be, based on where we are in the timeline, it was like two years into our YouTube career. So yeah. So I would sync, say sync was start, yeah. So Maybe so everyone was working on bigger scale and cooler stuff, and I think at this point Clint had moved out. I'd moved out yeah, here. Clint yeah. was doing the VFX on sync. Yeah, I yes. was doing VFX VFX on sync, and then like Carbon Warfare two mm-hmm. at the time. It took like eight months. That was the first thing I finished when I came out, and then right after that, I think I hopped onto VFX for sync. Right mm-hmm. was the timeline. Yeah, that was also around the time that you guys met Josh Lee Kwai. Yeah, and who is going to be a very important part of this story later on? Yeah, he us. did the uh, he did a free trailer for us for sync. Little did we know that how uh hashtag blessed you were to work with josh lee kwai (laughs) yeah it's like holy moly that guy has some credits under his belt for trailer edits yeah so josh lee kwai is a trailer editor that uh he did he saw sam and nico he saw freddie and was like you know i like what these guys are doing i think what they're doing is the future so i'm gonna go in and help them do some stuff just for free for pro bono to get involved with it see the world check it out for myself he's very much a marketing kind of guy and like very much business savvy uh he edited the trailer for um uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He did the Chinese trailer for The Force Awakens. He did a lot of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean work as well as a lot of stuff with Disney and came in and did some stuff with you guys. He'll come back into the equation later on. So at that point uh, is when I believe Freddie and Bryn were about to go their separate ways. Uh, and I was watching, it was interesting because I know a lot of people that are watching this probably saw the clip where Brandon talks about why he left Freddie W. Mm-hmm. And I was very intrigued because I'd never heard this side of it from him. Uh, my So my understanding of the situation was that Freddie and Brandon just wanted to do different things, right? Mm-hmm. Freddie wanted to go into more long-form storytelling and movies and stuff, um, as is, I think, very typical and normal for film, a lot of film students that mm-hmm. want to become directors. Actually, mm-hmm. just people in general in LA want to become directors. And Brandon was going into the more game development side. And so as a result, it was like, cool, we're just going to go our separate ways. Uh, uh, Brandon took over the Freddy W2 channel and was able to release stuff there and then renamed it to Brandon JLA. And then Freddy took uh, Freddy W and turned it into Rocket Jump, which was a larger conglomerate of him and a couple of our partners to make these long-form projects. Uh, but when I saw the Brandon video, he said the moment that he stepped on the set and saw a trailer for an actor, that that was it. He, that was not what he wanted and what was important to him. And for me as an actor, uh, mm. I wasn't uh, I wasn't like it wasn't like I was offended or affronted by that because this is my dream is to keep doing bigger and cooler stuff. Because when I saw a trailer on set, to me that signified, wow, this is great. This is the culmination of all my hard work that I get to, you know, be an actor on set and be an actor and I'm part of something that's really big and that's sort of what happens accommodations-wise is actors will get a trailer, there'll be a green room, there's going to be crafty, there's going to be all this stuff. And for me, it was really new, really fresh, and really exciting. So it was interesting to see the double parallels there, or not the parallels, just the the difference in how Brandon saw that and how someone as the person that was in the thing saw it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's actually really, it's just like a very 
different world for me coming into it as a performer because I cherish that opportunity a lot because as an actor, it's not like, you know, the reason I started doing YouTube is because you want more control over your own career and you want to do the stuff that you want to do. And acting in LA, especially as a minority back then, it was hard to find roles at all. Mm-hmm. So here I go getting offered a role that's basically the one of the three main roles of a show uh, that has a romantic love interest, kisses a person on screen, all this stuff that was breaking <clears throat> um, racial boundaries that really hadn't been done before. To me, it meant the world because it meant that I got to represent myself and my culture and my people. And to, you know, like if I was a kid growing up and I saw Ted Wong on screen, I would be so happy because I never would have, I never really had that otherwise. Mm -hmm. I had Short Round from Indiana Jones. I had Jackie Chan. I had Bruce Lee. And like, admittedly, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, very, very cool people. But Bruce Lee was gone before I was really alive. And Jet Li and Jackie Chan, as awesome as they were, never. You know, you're a young kid growing up and you don't want to get bullied and you want girls to like you and you don't ever see someone that looks like you on screen having success talking to a girl. Mm -hmm. You see the James Bonds out there. You see all the heroes. You see people in the black and the Latino communities like Antonio Banderas and and, uh, Wesley Snipes getting all the ladies. And so and it seems like a really shallow thing. But as a kid, it means a lot because it's just representation. So the mm-hmm. fact that I got to be in a trailer on set and be on the same level as these other people that I, you know, for the longest time could never equate myself with, and I had a romantic love interest, I had a kiss on screen, all this stuff, like, that made me so happy and very, like, grateful to be there. So hmm. Brand's reaction makes a lot of sense to me if he doesn't want to be in the film world because that, I think, just, like, be, not seeing something like that and either construing it as negative or not the thing that you want, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing necessarily, right? Because to some people, it's very important. To him, it just wasn't that important. So mm-hmm. that's something I never really knew about Brandon. So it was really interesting to see that side of things. And I'm glad that he's doing game development stuff too, because I'm, you know, I got to be a face model for one of the one of the projects he's doing right now, and it's awesome to see the stuff they're doing. You can tell that there's a lot of passion and love there for that specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's like the big split that happened fundamentally was you guys were working with the collective at the time, and that's when Node was created, right? Mm-hmm. And I think gaming was the one thing that kept everyone all tied together. Yeah. Uh, which is we all share a love of video games. That's where Freddie and Brandon got their start is making video game parodies, essentially. And that's where we all did our stuff. We made video game parodies. Yeah. Um, except I, for you, Clint. You did Carbo Warfare, which is a cardboard parody. I don't know exactly what you, <laughs> you know. It's hey, like a war parody, I guess. It's like war parody. I did, I, did my, I did my game parodies. and my Sleeping Dogs and yeah. Wolfenstein. And, yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. Those are just straight-up cinematic interpretations. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I want to get into what you just said, though, about um, – you know, Brandon having his opinion and his beliefs on, you know, his future. He's not interested in stuff with, you know, actors, he didn't want the, trailers. He, yeah, I think it was the very formalized, like, set in, like, this is how we make stuff in Hollywood kind of thing. I think Brandon's always been the kind of person that likes to break out of that, the you know, like, create his own box kind of guy. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, think outside that area. So I think that was, I, it must have felt confining or something to him. I don't know exactly how he felt, but I can understand where he's coming from. Well, I remember Sam being on set with Brandon, and, like, we would look around at how many people would be standing around, and, like, he and I would be making fun of, like, the fact that, like, a set would have, like, 30 people literally not doing anything. Right. But it wasn't until I was on bigger sets that I kind of realized why that is. And sure, I mean, there's definitely sets that are run inefficiently, for yeah. sure. But the other part of it is that, like, when you're on set, you are burning so much money per minute of just existing mm-hmm. that extra people on hand doesn't really 
matter in terms of costs. What they matter for is like, okay, cool. The scene's done. We need to set up a new scene. How fast can Go. you do it? Yeah. And then they do it in like five minutes versus taking an hour. Yeah, know? with like three people running around, someone grabbing a C-stand and yeah. that shouldn't be or whatever. No, but I'm just saying like he has he has his feelings on that. Like that's all justified. You had your feelings on wanting to do the opposite wanting to go down that route because mm-hmm. as you just explained well it was the first time i did it right yeah so for me seeing a trailer on set wasn't like a, oh this is the system we're gonna be wasting money on this now it was more like <laughs> what a cool opportunity i get to like be treated a little more extra special because i get to represent and i feel like now i have a more of a burden on me to do a really good job yeah. of what i'm about to do so what i'm feeling is like just because someone else had an opinion that was opposite of yours doesn't mean that like and especially if you looked up to that person especially Mm -hmm. if you were friends with that person like it doesn't mean that like you have to have the same opinion yeah it doesn't mean they're wrong necessarily and it doesn't mean you can always have different opinions sometimes opinions are fundamentally wrong i think but Mm -hmm. the opinion of i don't want to work on movie sets i'd rather make video games and flipping that there's like you can definitely have both and there's nothing wrong with that did you feel um like a sense of um like, oh, man, like, I, I totally understand. Like, a sense of empathy for Brandon's decision. Like, I understand why. And it's like, hmm. you felt like you, were you ever influenced by his decision to, like, see that trailer and be like, this is lame? And, like, did it did it kind of, like, knock down your ex- the excitement and experience you had? I think after hearing him talk about that on the cast, I was a little... My first reaction was just being a little upset, which is like, oh, man, this was something that was really special to me. Yeah. I know it was really special to a lot of people. Um, the fact that it was formalized and that's what turned you off of it is a bummer because I, I wish maybe you know you understood how much it meant to me to have that as an actor yeah. and that that was my approach to it. But I don't hold it against anyone, you know, obviously, because if you don't like something, you don't like something. I think yeah. everyone's out here to change the world in different ways and how they want to do it is completely subjective and up to them. Absolutely. Freddie and those guys, they want to make movies. They want to make films. And I think entertainment and storytelling is one of the best ways to have an impact on the world at large. Um, and so was gaming, right? So Brandon went into game development, and that's also something that obviously has a huge impact on everyone's lives. When Node was created, back, again, we're talking, I don't know, 2012, 13. No. Maybe 20, 13, 13 or 14. 13 yeah. or 14, right? When Nob was created, it was something that everyone participated in and was successful enough to become its own, essentially, independent venture, mm-hmm. um, which says a lot about the fact that everyone enjoyed gaming enough to still participate in and, and still have an active role in it and make it work. And at the same time, everyone was still doing their main passion. For Quarter Digital, it's what's happening right now. For Brandon, it's the game development. For Fred and those guys, it's movie making, mm-hmm. right? And for me, it's acting and performing and hosting and doing all that stuff. So... I think what ended up happening, and this is something I wanted to talk about for a long time, is it's not like people, we all looked at each other and we're like, I hate you. I don't want to work with you ever again. None of our things line up. It's just like when you become an adult, and I think at the time, if you look at the demographics, YouTube was 13 to 17. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the people that are listening to this, like ask yourselves, were you between the ages of 13 to 17 when you started watching Freddie W, Quarter Digital, Rocket Jump, all that stuff? And if the answer is yes, then it becomes a question of, okay, if you're how much are you going to change from 13 to 17? What are your tastes like? What are you going to love? And then imagine how are you going to change from the age of 22 to 29 or whatever? Mm-hmm. And how are those tastes going to change? How are those wants going to change? And in that case, it's like Brandon started off doing shorts really like that and wanted to do game development. Quarter Digital started off doing VFX and then ended up doing cinematic stuff. Freddie W started doing out shorts and they wanted to do uh, movie-length stuff, right? So all of our tastes change 
but we're all st- it doesn't mean that we're not friends anymore. I think the problem was that when you grew up at 13 and you experienced what we started doing, and by the time you got to 17, did you did your taste change? Did you want to continue along the path that we all chose? Or did you feel like you were, quote, unquote, betrayed because someone else had different ideas about what they wanted to do? Because I think that's where a lot of, like, internet entitlement comes from is, like, your taste may not have changed so much from 13 to 17 or what you expected didn't change so much. But for the people that were 22 to 29 that need to make a living, make themselves happy, have a life, you know, like, earn, you know, figure out how they're going to survive in the world without the comfort of a family that can pay for their rent and, you know, pay for their taxes, bills and all that stuff. What are they doing that's going to change? And I think the problem is that the fundamentally the age difference makes you look at the people above you and maybe not understand that like, oh, they're just doing what they want to do. It makes them happy. I shouldn't hold them. I shouldn't, I shouldn't make like, I think the big misunderstanding is people seeing what happened to all of us going our different directions and thinking that there was some sort of fundamental split where we all hate each other or don't like each other where it's just like, no, we're all just dudes living our lives. Mm-hmm you from the younger side may not understand how that separates people the older you get. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, you can't, <laughs> I wish you could be friends with the same people for your whole life, but you're, it's going to change. You, your life is like a big tapestry and people are going to weave in and out of it. And to expect that one person is going to be doing the exact same thing at 22 that at 29 that you loved when you were 13 is actually unreasonable. Because if I asked you, by the time that you get to that age and I say, hey, whatever you're doing right now, if I like it, you have to keep doing that for the rest of your life. That would be an awful thing to ask of someone. It's, so. a, it's like a selfish thing, you know? It's like It feels selfish, but at the same time, yeah. I don't think you know better when you're that young. No, and of course not. No, of course not. But it's like, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm digging the vibes right now. It's really nice. And like getting out of that, getting out, going from comfort to discomfort sucks. Yeah. Like no one wants that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like for one person, it might be comfort to continued comfort by continuing the thing they love doing. But the other person is like, yo, what about me? Yeah. Like... And it's like, I, I know, it's like, but I can't live my life for somebody else, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. I think a lot of people, uh, that's what YouTube was for a long time, which was like, cater to your audience. Mm-hmm. Give them what they want. But the internet changed, the algorithm changed, our own personal taste changed. And to think if we were doing the same thing, if you told me that I was going to be acting in the same level of stuff seven years ago that I'm doing today, I would, I would, I'd hate it. I'd be like, no, please, never. I don't I don't want to be doing the same thing. That's as an artist, as someone that's creative, that's like one of the most stifling things you could ask of someone. You want to be challenged. Yeah, you want to be challenged. And I think everyone here has found different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. So so I have always like considered myself and you too in a way, Clint, as someone that can float between all these groups of people and maintain positive, healthy relationships with all of them. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, I think I have a good perspective on where everyone's been. I see Corridor Digital as a company that has now launched a very successful Patreon, has an amazing vlog series, has some great employees under their arm that all represent the brand and the lifestyle really well. And I think that's awesome, right? Like I I see that as a great natural evolution of where you guys started at, how you can grow your family. In a lot of ways, I'm trying to do similar stuff with my brand and all that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see Rocket Jump as a company that got into making some of the big league stuff. They got to make two shows for Hulu, uh, Dimension 404 and Rocket Jump the show. They got to scale up the production. And they got to continue writing stories the way they wanted to. And now they're writing a lot of movies and getting, you know, trying to go down that path, which is very hard, but that's what they want to do. I see Clint as someone that goes in and drops bombs everywhere he goes. Like bombs <laughs> of stinkiest, quality. Stinkiest, smelliest. Stinkiest, smelliest. No, I'm like quality, <laughs> like bombs of content, right? Like when I, Clint and I worked together briefly at Rocket Jump for the shorts team. We about a make, year, right? Yeah, about a year. We got to make a bunch of shorts. But before that, Clint was with Rocket Jump making all sorts of different videos across the years. You made Modern Warfare. Or, I mean, so Carpet Warfare 2.5. Mm-hmm. You did a bunch of different stuff uh, with Freddie and by yourself. Projects you launching your own, Baby on Board, all sorts of different things. 
and now you're and now you've moved over to quarter digital because Rocket Jump has moved past that model, mm-hmm. and now you get to do you know you get to pursue your own same passion here and evolve it however you need to. Exactly. Yeah, I'm learning so much. Um, well, about everything. Always, always learning. Like, I think that's something that I am gonna have for the rest of my life is a passion for learning, and um, I'm ex- I'm very excited about it because like. I'm I'm always trying to challenge myself, always trying to get better at what I'm doing. And here yeah. at Corridor, like it's same thing. I'm learning so much. And just from like just just from the VFX like angle of things, dude, I've leveled up so much. It's insane. Like with with you know Cinema 4D and Octane and everything and yeah. just messing around. And the the thing is it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. And then having to write shorts, you know, every two weeks, like that's super hard. Um, and at times it's not fun, mm-hmm. you know, but it is the best challenge ever, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. it's something that I can always get, I can always get into a challenge, you know, and like find, <laughs> I can always get into a challenge <laughs> and find, find like some happiness in a challenge. Yeah. Like, I mean, so fun. then if I had to ask both of you this question right now, what are you passionate about? I think you just answered it for you, which is uh, you're Partly. passionate about challenges, learning, challenging yourself, growing to be a, a better, smarter, whatever, more capable person and making cool content, right? Yeah, that's I mean, it's part of it. I'm also very passionate about yoga right now. Okay. That's yeah. been, so been so I would say that your physical and mental health are both very important to you. Then, oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's something that yoga is symbolic of. Totally, yeah, totally. And Nico, what would you say your like passions are? Um, I mean, there's an easy answer to that, but the slightly more complicated answer is I actually feel like right now I'm a little bit in between mm. passions. Like, this is great. Because <laughs> there's nothing is, wrong with that, by the way. I think that's a natural evolution of what happens with passion too. Thanks. It's a, it can be a little bit uh, dis uh, not disconcerting, um, disorienting. Yeah. Because like for a long time, I was all about like make explosive viral shorts, things right. that just get millions of people to watch. I mean, I'm still about that, obviously, but like having done that for eight years now like it's like okay done check you know it's like yeah obviously i need to keep doing it as a business and it's still fun to do and i enjoy it but it's not like it's not the same passion i used to have for it um right because back in the day it was like oh my gosh look at this it's going it's it's doing this thing it's the first or few times that ever happens yeah. you're just it's like hitting all the neurons it's like stepping on the moon for the first time is crazy stepping on it for the second time still crazy <laughs> fourth time Still crazy. crazy, yeah, but... Twelfth yeah. time, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Twelfth like, time, well, twelfth time, you're, like, getting super meta. Like, what if we hit a golf ball, and then at the other end, we have someone doing this at the end, you know? It's like, like can like, we bring a buggy up here? Yeah. It's like, oh, we did. Cool. And like, now it's cool again. Like, right. Um, so that's kind of, like, it's a little tricky there. And, like, I'll probably outgrow this, but I feel like my passion for making the big narrative stuff has been killed a little bit. Um, by from, the industry or by yeah just kind of by the industry and realizing how hard it is not yeah. just like the challenge with making a movie isn't I mean writing movies hard making yes. movies hard but that's not the challenge for me because that's what my expertise is in I mean I'm not a good movie writer like I can write but I'm not good at it um, there's very good script writers you're a filmmaker and I'm a yeah, filmmaker yeah, but yeah. 
the challenge of the movie is getting a producer that can really produce the heck out of it right and getting a distributor that knows what the heck they're doing with the marketing and right. getting to the right theaters like if you want to make a film it's not about just getting it into the theaters it has to be a worldwide distribution international thing you have to learn how to market it you got to yeah. cut trailers for it you have to spend a lot of money making sure that people know what it is they don't confuse it for something else right all your actors yeah. have to sign specific contracts that have specific marketing requirements like mm-hmm. There's a whole layer, like layers upon layers of like actual, if you wanted to have a a couple million dollars in your budget or more, there's so many layers to that that I'm not aware of as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. because that's not my thing. Like that as I've become aware of that now, because I've started to encroach on that industry is suddenly like, oh, this is not what I thought movie making was. This is not really my yeah. my thing. I haven't trained at all. I haven't learned it's any business, of this. business, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a lot of us, I think, are creatives at heart, uh, specifically. Yeah, but, like, that's what the other angle's for. Like, that's what someone specializes in doing mm-hmm. so that you don't have to, like, be a master in that area. And I think it's just finding the right person or the right team to cover that zone yeah you know i think the big problem and this is another thing talking to again all of the prior 13 to 17 year olds that are now growing into adults and even the generations below that if you're 13 to 17 now which is we say all this stuff like we just got to find the right person (laughs) that in itself is one of the (laughs) single greatest challenges i've met over nine years now in la which is i can't tell you how many people i've met that have made promises or seem like the right fit and a week down the line, a year down the line, sometimes multiple years down the line that you find out they were absolutely the wrong person and mm-hmm. they betrayed you or they hurt you or they stole from you or they just weren't the right fit or they're in it for something less, the more about themselves. And like, there's so, like you said, Nico, it's true. There's so much that goes into making anything that I think the convenience of being able to pick up your phone and watch anything in the world dilutes a lot of how people uh, visualize the difficulties of Act mm. and realities of content that they're watching mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the entitlement that people get comes from that too which mm-hmm. is like you pick up your phone you watch anything you want you don't need to think about the blood sweat and tears hundreds of hours pain heartbreak money loss f- relationships destroyed that were <laughs> that were spent in making that thing that you just watched and like math thumbs down yeah, it's quickly, it's quickly judged. Yeah, it's very quickly judged. You and, know? And, then they, judged. and then you type in the comments, I want more of this. Why can't you give me more of this? I deserve, you know, it's it's not, you're not saying I deserve this, but you're essentially, like I've seen so many comments being like, I, I liked it back when the, the old days when it was like this. I want this because I want it, you know, which is like, well, what about the person making it that has to spend all the time to do it? Are they do, Can they not want something for themselves? And if they don't give you that, then who are you holding it against? Are you holding it against them for not giving you what you want? Or are you even asking yourself, am I being unreasonable in asking for this over and over again? Like, there's so many layers to that, too. The internet's a wild place. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just pure, like, unfiltered human id. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think one thing I've learned about the internet... <laughs> <laughs> At large. There's an opening of a sentence. Um, is to see change is to see a change in culture. Um, mm-hmm. Like, if you want things to be different, the only way to achieve it, you can't do it through rules, you can't do it through systems, you can't do it through reporting. Like, the only way to actually change something is to fundamentally change the culture around it. And right. that kind of comes with cha- education, you know, changing people's mindsets on things. Yeah. Um, because it has to be something that everybody holds inside of them where it's like, okay, like, I might react to it this way, but culturally speaking now, as a citizen of the internet... I've learned that these things are important, for example, to creators or to right. this content I'm getting. Like, you know, there's, I'm seeing a little bit of culture shift around advertisements, for example, on the internet. 
you know, people that talk about like ad blocking, you know, all the websites they go to and please somebody, whitelist us. Yeah. <laughs> somebody made a, uh, an AI that could filter out any sponsored segments in a video. <laughs> and then like people are like, Oh sick. When are you going to release it? But then there's a fair amount of comments. And I was happy to see this being like, guys, just to put this out there. How are you expecting to have this content made? If you're going to even remove like the in video sponsorships, right. you know, sponsors that are directly supporting the people whose content you're consuming. It's like, and for the most part, in-video sponsorships really aren't that bad. They're like, not that obtrusive to me. Yeah. So I have a podcast now with Josh Lee Kwai, the trailer editor that we talked about earlier. And we have two sponsors for the show. One's a, a retailer that sells. It's about Magic the Gathering. Uh, uh, one of them is a, a, a sponsor that sh- uh, sells cards online. And the other is a guy a p- company that makes like products like playmats and all that stuff. And we spend about, you know, we podcast for about an hour. And the first five minutes are... Intro to the show, what we're talking about, and the shout out to our sponsor. Mm-hmm. So five minutes out of an hour, that's five out of 60. It's pretty small in percentage. And the number one upvoted comment usually is the timestamp. We said, this starts here. Hmm. And to me, it's always been so confusing, which is like, and the people being like, thank you, you're the real savior, blah, blah, blah all these replies to it. <laughs> and to me, it's so bizarre being like, okay, I get it. If you don't want to listen to it, maybe you've listened to this podcast for three years. You've heard the same spiel over and over again. That's fine. You can skip over it all you want. It's in the, you have the ability to literally click past it. <laughs> but that step is even so far that people need to find someone else that's done it for them. And then that person to them is touted as like a, you know, thank you so much, which is so interesting because it's like, you wouldn't even have this content if it wasn't for the fact that we couldn't make it happen without these sponsors, right? Mm-hmm. Like Josh Lee quite dropped his day job in order to do this podcast full time. So when I see that stuff, it always strikes me as like, again, it's not ungratefulness necessarily because I think that's assuming too much about the person that's not liking it. It's just a lack of understanding about why it needs to exist and why it's there. Mm -hmm. Like you turn on the TV, you watch a TV show, great. Yeah, they don't yell out sponsors and that, but they take a commercial break three times and they run like it's 23 minutes out of 30, seven minutes of it are pure commercials. It's like there are always things like this that exist i think people just haven't been able to con- like sort of contextualize them in the internet and how that economy works for creators yeah that, well I, I was gonna say i think tv commercials are the worst because <laughs> oh yeah that is like a lot. general audience that's like as general we have to reach everyone you know yeah. so and they also slap it in the middle of the show and they take oh, huge so breaks to yeah. watch them right and it's like they crank up the volume and it's like <laughs> Oh, it's so annoying, man. Imagine I, if you watch a Shane Dawson video and three times during the video, <laughs> it cut to seven minutes of commercials total. Like, you would be screaming. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't watch it anymore. Is it so bad that they spend a minute being like, thank you to uh, Mashable.com or thank you to this mattress for sponsoring this episode? Go yeah, lie yeah. on the mattress. It's nice. <laughs> like, that is somehow so offensive to some people that they just can't watch it. It's crazy, man. But it, I do think that's it, like the ad blockers and all that stuff. It's given people a little bit of a way to fight back against like because it's always about finding that balance right because you can go way too heavy on the ads and the sponsors Mm -hmm. like they have in television and then you have to you know bounce back from that but like you have to be careful that your bounce back doesn't bounce back too far yeah it's all about that understanding it's all about developing that culture like here's manners this is what's polite right this you know it's like everybody kind of eventually gets there they agree upon it it's like this is okay we all accept this. It lets people, everybody exists on both sides. Like. Yeah, yeah. You just got to keep hammering at home until it gets there. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think one of the most valuable things I learned from Josh, who is I, admittedly to me like a marketing genius, which is like you, if you have a talking point, if you have something that you need to, people to remember, you just have to say it multiple times. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep hammering at home in a, the same convincing way, which is like, look, we wouldn't, 
these lights you have on out here, they cost money. It's electricity. We have someone editing this podcast. We have all of us here today doing stuff for this podcast. It wouldn't exist if it wasn't for people on Patreon. It wouldn't exist. You know, if you have you found that we've given you value over the years and you want to provide back in any way, then this is how you're doing it. That's the culture of what has been created because of things like Patreon and donations mm-hmm. on Twitch, subscriptions, all that stuff like merch. Merch, yeah. Like we're not doing this just to like run away with money and <laughs> you know, like Scrooge McDuckett, like no, we're doing all of this stuff oftentimes at a loss and it's only made possible because we have other people out there that can help support the content in the same way that you might go to the store and buy, you know, a candy bar if you like a candy bar company. That's an mm. awful comparison, but it's the same idea. Like if I went to the store and I saw a quarter digital plush merch, I'd be like, cool, I know if I buy this, I'm helping them out in a way and I'm getting some value back from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like the people who actually spend money, like the Patreons and like, um, you know, any 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 other, any other way, yeah, the merch and whatnot, mm-hmm. those are like the true OGs, you know, those are the guys who are like really helping out. And Oh, really... by far they are the most, for me, the patrons of our podcast are the most valued people in my life, by far. Yeah. I think the problem was the internet started with absolute free content and that's what we set the culture as originally. I think mm-hmm. you made a really good point with the culture thing. The original culture was just like, you get this for free, all of it, yeah. constantly. Mm. And the moment that people were like, hey, I might, is it okay if I ask for a little something? It was like, no, we don't get that. <laughs> no, we want it for free. Sit like, back I, down. I just need a little, I, just, I, I can't eat lunch. No. You know, it's like, that's like where it got to really fast. The out, the, the backlash was so weird and fierce. Um, meanwhile, you still had people, you know, doing Kickstarters and stuff for things. So people still got it. It just takes, I think it took a lot of time. And I think we're finally wrapping around to getting there now. Yeah. And I've, I've seen cultural shifts happen already. Like, for example, crediting people. People get credited way more than they yeah. used to. Um, Full credits, editor, producer, like every Try Guys video I see, those guys understand. Like, they yeah. have their producers, their writers, and all the PAs, even all in the credits of all their videos. Heck, even on Reddit, when just like a cool picture gets posted, at this point, people post a photographer in their Instagram. Yeah. Maybe it's not like the first comment in the thread, but it's there. It's there. And I've seen a lot of people being like, hey, I came here exactly for this, mm-hmm. oftentimes, and reply to that comment, you know. Which is great. Yeah. That makes me happy. Yeah. Because, I mean, people, people want to feel, I think, at a base level, people want to feel important. People want to feel like they're they're doing something. Mm-hmm. And when you throw credit their way, it's like, sweet, thanks. I'm glad that you recognize my hard work. Yeah. And, like, it goes a long way. It's such a small thing, but it really goes a long way, you know? Yeah, I think there's a current backlash as well to what people are deeming outrage culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it has a big, wide blanket to what that means. It's either something happened and you thought it was offensive and you're outraged. Or something like you weren't credited as an artist and you posted about it and you were outraged. And the word outrage isn't the right word for every situation. But I think people have a backlash to outrage culture because they're like, you guys are just overreacting about everything. Well, judgment like culture? Judgment culture and all that stuff. But I think the big thing is like, again, if we didn't talk about it and why it needs to happen and get in a way outraged about it, we're just going to get screwed in the long run and things are never going to change. So there is a necessary part of speaking up about something that's incorrect or making sure that the person gets credited. Like that credit stuff wouldn't be happening if people in the comments weren't pissed off about it, right? If people Mm -hmm. weren't like, whoa, whoa, hey, you just stole this from someone. You need to give them credit. And that's like a great thing to fight for, but it wouldn't happen if people didn't raise their voice and say something about it. So there is a necessary Mm -hmm. part of outrage culture that has to happen if you want to actually enact positive change. I I do think that like, I I agree. I agree with you on that because like, uh, that that makes sense. There are cases though where it's to, when it's like, why are you taking this publicly? Why why are you why are you like tattling? You know, mm-hmm. like come to me and talk, and like we'll figure it out. You oh, know, for like personal grudges. Or it, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, because like I was um, 
you know, like at uh at my the the yoga studio mm-hmm. I, I work at, or I don't work there, but I go you there to it. do yoga. And like one of the guys at the front desk, he was like, "Hey, let me ask you guys some, about something. Like in this in this class, like a couple weeks ago, did you guys experience any weird something?" And like I, I was like, <laughs> "Wait, you mean like this thing?" Yeah. And he's like, "Yes, that thing." And I was with my girlfriend, and she was like, "Yeah, yeah, that thing." And he was like, yeah, people came up to us and, like, complained about it. And, and like, basically he was just being like, guys, this class is freaking hard. Like, look around you. And, like, some people aren't working out to the best of their ability. Some people aren't working out at all. Yeah. Like, you have to ask yourself, why are you stopping? Why are, why are you not working out right now? Is uh-huh. it because, did you stop because someone else stopped? And, like, apparently all these people complained about it. That the guy challenged them and be like, hey, why yeah, are you exactly. not doing the thing? Exactly. Oh, okay. And it's like, well... Well, what about that dude's job? Like, is he is he going to lose his job because all these people <laughs> complain? And, and you know what I'm saying? And like, versus they could have just gone to him and be like, hey, look, I, you know, didn't appreciate it's that. It's tough and, though, man. I think that it, it's true. I wish, right? I wish we could all be like, hey, Nico, that one time you said that uh, it hurt. I, 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 I'd like to talk about it. Well, thanks for telling me, Jimmy. I will keep that in mind for future. <laughs> but think uh, about how hard, like, <laughs> I don't even tell my dog about some of my problems. You know what I mean? Like, and my dog doesn't even understand me. Yeah. You know, I think it's just hard for humans to bridge that gap. And I think the easier, sometimes the easier way is just to post a tweet or something about like, so-and-so did this. Um, and I think it's true. It's going to be the roughest before it gets better. I think right now we're in, I think people need to understand this too. Like whatever state that the world is in now, the very divided polar opposites screaming about stuff, it's not going to be like this forever. But in terms of things like the Me Too movement and the things like knowing more about like people like Harvey Weinstein, like sometimes you do have to like drop a bomb of knowledge and information for something to change, but it doesn't mean that that's how it's always going to happen. People are going to yeah. follow in that example, I think, for a while, which is like so-and-so did this. Oh, well, I'm going to talk about that person in the same way or someone else in the same way because I saw it happen like this before. But I think we've even seen now people are tempering how they do it very slowly over time, but it's true. I think... There's a lot of damage that can be done that doesn't necessarily have to be done. It just is a matter of evolving how we the discourse we have about it. And that takes yeah. a lot of time. And hopefully people will be smart enough to slowly evolve the way that they do it as well to fit that. One of my friends made a comment that we as a, as a species, as a culture, we weren't equipped to suddenly be presented with differing viewpoints loud differing viewpoints in our faces all the time all the time every yeah. day because um, before the internet that's something that you would have to actively seek out right. if I wanted to have a debate or discussion I would have to be like okay I'm looking for some disagreement I want to hone my opinion on something or whatever you would literally get a soapbox and put it in front of a park and then stand <laughs> on it and yell like right. that's a way that you could do it yeah or you'd invite a discussion or something like that you know yeah. politics over Thanksgiving kind of thing now it's just like I can be browsing Twitter and somebody just blasts me with like, oh, whoa, I didn't know that. But I now I very do. Dis- very much disagree with that. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, It makes yeah. me angry. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm angry. Like, yeah, I don't know. How do you think How do you think people should react? deal with that? How, or do you think like, is that something where people should, do you think people should be tempering what they're saying? I think that we, as it's almost impossible to ask society at large to temper what they're saying. Because I have been on the fiery side of things plenty of times myself and found myself receiving all sorts of crazy backlash as a result. I don't know. It's a question that I don't think we can necessarily answer until the world gets, I don't know, better at answering it. That, wow, what a <laughs> long-winded way to say I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I, I think the number... I, I would just tell everyone that your opinion is great and it's valuable, 
it's not the end-all be-all, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the only opinion, like we've already talked about on this show. And I think before making a statement, it would be good to investigate a little further before like making up your mind and actually investigating, like trying to erase any preconceived notions you might have uh, and figure out what's really going on. Like I think a really good example is unfortunately uh, that Jesse Smollett guy, you know, lied about the fact and hired people to attack him and pretended, you know, it was a racially based attack by Trump supporters. And it's Mm -hmm. like, if that actually happened, that would be awful. But the fact that someone had to fake it and then we had in all this stuff where everyone was, you know, defending him and then and then and then when people realized it was wrong, it was like, oh, crap. Now what do we do? Like, do we do we blast him? Do we do we hold him accountable for his actions? Like, yeah, you treat him like you would anyone on either side of the fence. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you treat it the exact same. You don't treat it more or less so because it was a liberal that started it out or if it was a Republican originally, you know, you just still treat it the same like they're just a human being that did something really stupid. So how do we react to that? Not oh, because he's a liberal, we're going to do this. It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 that, none of that actually applies to the situation here because this can happen on both sides of the fence. Absolutely. And it has now. And like, I think that's the thing that people, I, you can't be self-righteous about what you're representing because humans are humans. We're all going to be really dumb and do really dumb stuff <laughs> no matter where our political affiliations lie. So I think it's better to just try and treat people as baseline humans, try to look beyond as much as you can in terms of preconceived notions and go from there. Yeah. I think it's always healthy to avoid an us versus them mentality. It's not about your team and helping your team. It's not a sports game. Yeah. You know? It's not a sports game. I mean, literally we're all humans and we're all in it together. I yeah. know that the, and the, the problem is that the world has decided that, you know, certain privileges will be granted to certain races and uh, genders just based on how society's patriarchal or how society has been predominantly one race or the other for the longest time. But, like, those are the things I think we have to move past. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I think it's tougher to understand, too, if you've been in it and you don't. It's hard to see, out, it's hard to see like, your life from a holistic, top-down viewpoint yeah. if you have been that privileged person or whatever. And I think that's where a lot – I mean, we're getting so deep into the weeds now in terms <laughs> of, like, what we're getting into. But ultimately, I, the main takeaway is just view people as human as a literal species, not about color, race, orientation, political orientation, any of that stuff. Yeah. Also travel, go, go take a break and travel to a different country. That oh helps yeah. Traveling is traveling is one of the best ways to understand that we're all in it together for sure. And it's not the same everywhere. <laughs> yeah, It's not the same everywhere. And yeah, it's good to challenge yourself and get uncomfortable as hard as it is. I know that the internet and the convenience we have at our hands makes life really easy. Just, kind of disappear into like this nice comfort zone yeah but challenge yourself you're going to be a better person and you're going to find better everything better love in your life better relationships better everything down for that mm-hmm. we have a lot more to talk about i know <laughs> <laughs> i was just i was wondering if i should keep going on this train of like no let's let's change it up we, i think we can have yeah well, what are our final, pathways, com- final what are, comments final uh well, a, ending statement i had a question it's a question i asked phil wang but it, it keeps it keeps us going down this hole but screw it here we go i like it <laughs> all board choo like choo all right <laughs> phil's a great guy um so you're talking about oh uh, by the way phil another person who's had a long history in la and youtube and his company has changed and split up and stuff doesn't mean that these people hate each other mm-hmm. it just means that they all went the different ways yes. for whatever reasons Yep, he talks about that in his podcast Great. with us. Huh. Yeah, go check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, YouTube.com slash quarter digital podcast. That's not the actual URL. No, that's not the URL at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, in terms of uh, 
you know, you talk about privilege and, uh, you know, ethnic biases and racial biases and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, representation. Um, what do you think is more effective in combating that? Oh. Uh, for lack of a better term, forced diversity or at least trying to meet diversity quotas or diversity representation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like or, if 20% of the population is this, then 20% right. of that should be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or trying to completely ignore race or ethnicity, making that something where it's absent, for example, from a job application and going only on the merits of the job. So I know for a fact that for certain performing arts schools, if you're going to audition, uh, they do it blind. So let's say you're a violin player. Mm-hmm. You go into the room and you're going to play the violin uh, for people that are going to listen to you, but they can't see you. Mm-hmm. They can only hear the music that you're doing, right? So that's more along the lines of what you're saying, which yeah. is purely on merit, purely on all that. Or like when we did the uh, the corridor crew editing position because Comicals mm-hmm. headed out, all we had was send us the link to your reel. That's nice. it. Not your reel, but your the edit yeah, the we gave footage. Edit. Like yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, things at play here, right? One, it would be awesome if we could blank slate everything, start from new. No one had prior investments. No one had prior companies to worry about. No one had prior earnings, investors, all that stuff to report to. They just started from fresh and did that. That would be perfect. That'd be awesome. Unfortunately, that's not the case because you have companies that are run by people that have been running it for 20 years with prior relationships with people that need certain things and need their their people casting things or need to make this project about that. So as a result, I think the system has already been built up to the point where doing it in that blind way isn't going to enact the actual change you want because it's just going to follow what the system has pre-built before it. Um, it's like trying to change something that's... It's, it's like trying to say, like, okay, cool, like, I have a machine that spits out 20 balls every minute. 19 of them are white and one of them is not. All right, cool. Now we're going to just try and change the system that it's not going to do this anymore. It's like, well, the system's still very much used to spitting out 19 white balls and one not white one. So I think that having that is a idealistic and a good way to approach it in certain scenarios. But I think when you're trying to combat like a super old system, one like Hollywood that's been around for a long time that has a lot of pre-built everything – you're going to end up just creating more of the norm. Um, and and maybe you will push the dial in the right way, but I don't think it's going to be as fast as trying to be much more forceful about it in the first place. Um, but ultimately, that doesn't none of this matters because the only thing that really matters in talks in Hollywood is making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yep. really the big decider of what's going to change. And yeah. Crazy Rich Asians made a lot of money. And it did so at a point in history when I think it was finally the right time and the correct time and the appropriate time uh, for everyone to realize, oh, okay, this is an audience that has been underserved for a long time and they're actually hungry and they want more of this kind of content. As a result, I mean, if you keep up with casting news, there have been Asian names popping up left and right, right. because people are realizing, oh, you know what? It's not so much being like, we should hit our diversity factors. It's more like this is a money-making opportunity and we would be stupid as a business, corporate identity, whatever you, whatever it is, to not at least try and figure out how we can make money as well off of this. And and if it promotes diversity and the people that are doing it are have that goal in mind from the first place, awesome. But I can assure you a lot of these companies aren't like, you know what, we need to hit our diversity factors. And it just so happens that we have one that makes a lot of money. You know, it's more just like, cool, this helps us out in terms of public image. But there are a lot of great benefactors out there that have had this mission from the first place, which is like we want equal representation. Uh, and as a result, now we're finally at the point where we can push for it, and that's great. Right. So I think it's it's a tough question to answer because it depends on every, you know, where you're coming at it from. I think that's a fine answer. I honestly, it'd be nice if more people answered questions like that with, 
It depends on the situation. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very viable answer, but apparently nobody accepts that these days. <laughs> it's not a real answer. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, it depends on the situation. Oh, so you don't want to answer the question, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's tough. I also don't know enough, right, about how the world actually works still, even at 31, to, like, be able to really answer it. I just mm. know what, based on my experiences and what I've seen and how I feel about it. Yeah. That's also a good point. I wish people would answer questions based on their experience as opposed to like, oh, I know everything. And like, I, let me tell you, you know, kind of thing. That's, that's good. That's good. I think yeah. that's something that comes out of the fact that we have the entire world's knowledge right here. Yeah. And as a result, you get mm. confident in cocky with your is answers. Is it an entire world's knowledge or the entire world's preconceived notions? Aha. Ah. And what we've decided to put on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all there, right? So I think growing up with that, I think you do get the sort of I'm entitled sort of slash I know every know it all mentality because you technically can know it all. Would Give me five seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that that's something that. Well, I've read the headlines on at least 10 articles, so therefore, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I read the front page of Reddit today, and I understand the Mueller investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, boy. All right. I like that question. That's a good question. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for answering it. Anytime. That's a delicate one to answer, and you did, a, I think, a good job. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Do we want to... Uh... Do we want to get into that Mulan? That Mulan? That Mulan? D- well, Speaking of, or do you want, or should big we budget no, movies? No Mulan, not yet. yet. Not, not yet? yet. Okay, okay. Stay tuned. Because <laughs> stick around. Because sometime. There's, <laughs> there's a you were traveling down this uh, history of. Oh right, everything. we're still in the history. Yeah, and then we we got diverted for a minute, just for a minute here, yeah. uh, on some just some light things to talk about. So where are we at yeah, right now? Where are we at? Then? So we're at the point where Brandon has left Rocket Jump, mm-hmm. um, and Rocket Jump's been doing this thing for a couple months. And this is the part that I just kind of want to kick back and hear you two reminisce for a while. And that's the point at which both of you guys were at Rocket Jump after the split. Oh, so this is the shorts team then, right? This is shorts. Te- well, shorts this is, like, well, this is short what th- is the shorts team? So there is stuff that happened before the shorts team. So Clint was stayed with uh, the team, sort of split off, right? Brandon took a couple people, uh, Frey took a couple people, and Clint was one of the people that went with Frey to Rocket Jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Clint was there for actually a bit longer. And I've always been on the peripheral of that company because I wasn't a part of the founding members. I wasn't. I had no ownership stake in it. It was just me. It was. I was watching my brother do his thing while I did my thing independently on the side. Um, and a lot of that comes from just like I was an actor. I was trying to do my own stuff. And Frey and I would talk and interact, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't want to be involved in his company necessarily. And he had his own thing going from the beginning. But Clint was a big part of that uh, going into Rocket Jump. So I would see Clint quite often, right? I, we would work on stuff together. It would either be video game high school or I would be there when they, you guys were filming shorts. Um, I helped them find their first uh, office space up in North Hollywood. I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah, you... I was the reason that Nerdist was there too. We shared an office with Nerdist for a quick, yeah. sh- a quick second. Um, and so during that time, I was always on the sideline and sort of helping out every now and then, coming in, doing some social media stuff. I ran like the Kickstarter campaigns for season two and three of William High School. Um, answered That's a right. lot of emails. Tore that up, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, that. And uh, after all of that, we moved to a new, larger office. And Freddie and those guys were like, you know what? We want, you know, we don't want to just give up making shorts because we're doing all this longer form stuff. It doesn't leave us time to make short films on the channel. So we're going to make what we call a shorts team, uh, which comprised of me, Clint, uh, Ellery Porterfield, who played Key on Video Game High School, and the siblings, Anthony and Ashley Birch. And that was sort of their idea of like, you know, what, we'll take what you guys want to do, which is like, we'll give you the opportunity to make cool short films for the channel. And this also helps us keep up consistent content on the channel. 
Um, and this is probably four or five years after Brandon left to do uh, gaming stuff. So this is a significant amount of time later. Um, during that time, though, was Video Game High School Seasons 2 and 3. That's sort of what took up the bulk of the time. And Clint was sort of there doing some of the short film stuff. Yeah, I was I was shot bot in, in Video Game High School. I was helping with VFX on Video Game High School. And I was... Um, Occasionally making shorts for the channel. Like, there was, like, a ping pong one you guys did. Yeah, so, like, me and Freddie would co-direct a lot of stuff together. And, um, you know, I, I love doing VFX. So that was... You know, mm-hmm. that was something I was doing as well, editing, doing VFX, and just helping with anything that needed to get the videos out and right. whatnot. So, yeah, right, that right. was the interim. Yeah, and during that interim, I was still doing video game high school, but I was also hosting a lot of stuff. And around that time, I started the podcast for Magic the Gathering called The Command Zone with Josh Lee Kwai. And that's when Clint was in office and stuff, too. Um, so we all started doing more stuff, and then the shorts team came around. And we're like, cool, let's do the shorts team together for a year. So that was a uh, quite the fun adventure, I think. Um, it yeah. was. It didn't last a year. It lasted about <laughs> seven, eight months. Yeah, seven, seven eight, eight months, months yeah. and then it kind of fell apart. Um, and I learned a lot from that, which is like one, you can't have decision by committee. You need to have a clear, direct like vision from the top down and just pursue that. Uh, and we had five very talented people in the same room together, all with very different levels of filmmaking experience. And I think that actually hampered us in a lot of ways because yeah. everyone was given an equal say in the room. And as a result, a lot of things just didn't get done, right? You would find yourself in a quagmire, just get stuck in this stagnant state. Everyone being like, I have an idea, and we all have an idea about this idea, and now we're just like locked. Yeah. Mm. We can't move anywhere because every time we move somewhere, someone's like, well, what about this? You know, so it's like you're constantly pushing and pulling, but you're never actually taking the idea anywhere. Yeah. We still were able to make a bunch of really cool shorts, but the best ones we made, honestly, were someone being like, this is the idea. Let's do it. Right. And then we would just jump into it without having to spend too much time toiling over what it was and making sure it was perfect. And yeah. And refining and refining until the point where it maybe wasn't as great as when it started. Because that's that's like lit- lit- you literally have a direction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. Like, tell me what just. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do my best job, you know? Yeah. And that's when I think you get the best work, um, as opposed to, like you were saying, everyone's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. And then, hey, let's have everyone write this. And it sh- What it should have been, like, Clint, this is the short you're going to direct. I'll be your DP. This person's going to edit it, and this person's going to write it. It got to that point at the end. It tw- yeah, towards yeah. the end it did. But it was tough because we kind of went into it without that direction. But it's one of those things where it's like, you can't learn until you do it. Do yeah. it, and you face the fire, and you run yourself into the ground trying to figure it out. So, what was your what was your impression of the shorts team when you were told, "Hey, we want you to do this, and we want for the next year, you're going to make a short every two weeks with these uh, other four people." What was your what was your feeling on that? My so because I've always sort of trod to my own path and had my own stuff going on, right? I, to me, it was like, this is cool. I don't want this to take over my life. Uh, but also, I really do cherish the opportunity to do something that's slightly higher budget uh, and could look better and look cooler and, and, and you know be on Rocket Jump. That's a great distrib- distribution platform, right? Um, so I think I went into it and is the excited and ready to just tackle whatever was given. And I think what ended up happening is that all of us found ways to prioritize the other parts of our life over the shorts team in different ways. And then we found just the right amount of time to put into the shorts team. Because at first it was like an all-in effort. We were all there on time every single day in the morning and ready to go. And very slowly as, you know, the, th- the problems I was talking about we would run into, which is like we all get stuck on a point or we couldn't figure out how to move past it, you'd find that people would, you know, like me especially, I'd come in a little later. 
I'd work a little less on this because someone else I thought was handling it. And things sort of degraded because there wasn't enough, um, I think, single leadership. And that's something that I, it was a very important lesson. And, and it's the kind of lesson that happens. It's, it's always hindsight is twenty twenty with a lot of this stuff. And I'm sure you found this a lot, Nico, where it's, you guys have run teams here now, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you're like, can't you just go and do it and do it by yourself and figure it out? Like, I, that's what I want to say, right? Even me yeah, now looking at way. people I'm working with, <laughs> I look at them and be like, can't you just figure it out? It's like, no, you got to be there alongside that process the whole time. And I think that's one of the fundamental mistakes that a lot of people make. Um, and the short team was one of the versions of that, which is you can ma- have a great idea. But ideas are just words on a piece of paper. Uh, the execution is really where everything comes together. And the execution for the shorts team, I think, was unfortunately mishandled because it's just really hard to get to put that amount of extra, right? Like Freddie and Matt, those guys made the shorts team because they wanted less work on their plate. Exactly. But really what it did generate was more work on their plate to make sure it did the thing you wanted to before it became less work on your plate. Yeah, yeah. it needed a leader. And I, and I think one thing that helped so much was Cherish. Yes, and we had an amazing person produ- to cherish. She, she produced. She kind of produced and kind of like managed yeah. us after after like the, the the I don't know two or three months. She was like, guys, mm-hmm. like after every short, we got together and we were like, what went well, what didn't work, and then how can we how can we better it for the yeah, next and what can we do for next time exactly? Yeah. And yeah. that was like boom, that yeah. helped so much. Yeah, but the thing is, Cherish was also pulled in two directions because she was working on Rocket Jump Film School at the time, so yep. it was tough because it it felt overstaffed and understaffed simultaneously yeah and there's a lot for me like i value that experience a lot because i learned a lot in terms of how to manage a project and to do all that stuff i think one thing that we could have done as a group at the five of us is just one of us just step up and de facto became a leader yeah right and maybe that should have been me for all, all things considered as i had the closest ties to the company i had the most experience outside of you making these sorts of things in the, in the first place and yeah. making stuff for the internet specifically but, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, And the, the the main thing is I learned a lot from doing that. And I was just glad to be able to hang out with Clint more. <laughs> that was – I did value that quite a bit. We hung out a lot during that time period. Dude. We played a lot of Mario Kart at and got Indian food. <laughs> Man, dude, the most Mario Kart and the most Indian food I've ever had in a year was – that time at the yeah. rocket jump uh uh shorts shorts program yeah. and um you introduced me to one of my favorite games of all time i'm actually wearing the t-shirt right now hyperlight drifter the best like yeah. i was like jimmy what's that what's that creepy like kind of peaceful music i'm hearing right now and you're like dude let me show you this game this disaster piece too oh my god he's like drag. the best he, yeah the best and then yeah just tons of mario kart we had this whole like challenge thing where like we, we play online oh, yeah. And we play got, online. <laughs> yeah, if you got first or second place, you could sit on the couch in my living room. And it's a nice couch, dude. It is like super comfy. If you got third place, it was at the wall. corner, right? Yeah. No, third place was yeah, corner or wall sit. I think fourth place was you have to stare at the corner. No, I think third place was you had to you had to play because we were on our DSs. You had yeah. to play facing the corner in the in the darkness. <laughs> yeah, and you and just fourth like, place you had to wall sit the entire time. Yeah, fourth oh, place was wow. it just got progressively worse. And if you ever got twelfth place, ice bath. Oh, really? Did anybody ever get 12th no, place? No, <laughs> not even close. But, dude, remember the one where you had to hold your breath the whole race? Oh, yeah. How intense was I that? I think that was fourth or fifth place. You had to hold your breath the entire time. No, no, it's possible. It's possible. It's, it's like two did minutes. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. It was, sometimes oh, sometimes went to three minutes. Clinton, yeah. I would know that two minutes is, is possible. Two, three, dude, we went three and a half. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what else? Uh, handstand? You had to do yeah. upside down. One was the upside down uh, brace, yeah. Yeah. Or you could do like a headstand on the couch. Yeah. But that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, looking back, I think that was the big takeaway I had from all of that. And after that, uh, Rocket Jump made a couple of shows. They made Rocket Jump the show as well as Dimension 404. 
And past that, Rocket Jump uh, downsized a lot because they were like, okay, cool, we're done with these shows. Uh, we don't need the space anymore. We're just going to become a uh, – figure out what we want to do next, which is like, you know, we want to make a movie. And this happens a lot. Like, J.J. Abrams' company is the same thing. When they're in the production, it explodes, grows huge in size. And when they're in between projects, it goes down to like like five, six people or something. So mm-hmm. that's sort of the state that Rocket Jump's in right now. And meanwhile, this is when you guys started doing your Patreon, started doing that sort of content. Um, and I think in a different world, Rocket Jump could have taken a very similar approach to what you guys did. Um, if I was maybe in charge, I maybe I would have thought that that was the right road to go. But I had so many things going on for myself that it was hard to look beyond what was given to me directly. And it's hard to because I wanted to focus mostly on what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, at that same time, you know, I, I, right after the short team finished, I hosted a show on Disney XD that was like a gaming show that Clint was on. Um, we we got to film some shorts for that stuff. And I think for me, it was just like, everyone has to just keep pursuing their own path. And that's what happened. Rocket Jump went from this to that to this to that. Clint went from that to here. I went from this to that. And it's like, we all still know each other. You know, we'll still hang out occasionally, see each other at events or, you know, get dinner, do whatever. It, But we're not literally living two feet away from each other and talking every single day and working. And the distance in LA is such... That if you're even a mile away from someone, they may as well be in another state sometimes, and that's by no fault of us, right? Well, a lot. Of I fault. think it's busyness. It's busyness, right? And you have your own priorities and things that you want to do. As a result, you just lose a little bit of a connection with the people. I mean, the reason that we were all so close and tight knit in the first place is because we all literally lived in the same room. Yeah, you know, and that's what changed is that we just moved and lived other places and pursued our own what interested us the most. Didn't mean that we hate each other. Didn't mean that we'd never want to work with each other again. You know, Frey did, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Tentacruel with you guys? <laughs> Wait, Tentacruel Reloads? What? Tentacruel Reloads. Tentacruel Reloads. I know, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did a Tentacruel short? I was yeah, like, with what? Re- and he was reloading a bunch of guns with all his little cruel arms. <laughs> oh, my arms. God, dude. Yeah, Tactical Reload. You know, like, that stuff still happens. It's just on a much less scale because everyone's busy doing their own thing and pursuing what makes them happy. Yeah. I have a great segue into yeah. talking about Mulan. Oh yeah. So Wait, you can't you can't you can't like go all the way and then come back. He's you have to lead. segue it. You, okay, you're, okay, go ahead, go ahead. So while you were talking there, I don't know what it was, but you reminded me that I have like three royalty checks from you. <laughs> <laughs> for you, for you. Uh they've been sitting in my freaking little paper deal with pile. They're probably for like two dollars each, by the way. I opened one. It's for like 140 bucks. Oh, <laughs> that's like two video games. That's <laughs> that's like ten Apex chests. I've had them for like three years. <laughs> no way. There's no way they work anymore. They might. Yeah, we'll check. We'll but see. Right before you leave, I need to give them to you. But also, I haven't seen you in like a year because you've been in New Zealand, and that's why they've been sitting on my desk. Ah, uh, like that's that why. Long. That's why. Yeah, 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 totally. Jimmy, why the heck were you in New Zealand? Jimmy, did you make it? I think I made it, guys. You made it. Sometimes we I'm came so up with the, we came up with this saying last week and we went skiing, which is oh you uh, definitely made it then. Sometimes <laughs> at the top of the mountain. Okay, go, yeah. Go, sometimes go, go, go. you just gotta get it. <laughs> <laughs> I credit Alex Wasabi with that one. I think he's gonna turn it into his next like catchphrase. But oh, wow. um, that's great, dude. Yeah, I was in New Zealand for six months. So last December uh, December of 2017, uh, which is almost two, two years now. Year? Yeah, it's like a little over a year ago. I found out that I was going to be a part of the live-action remake of Disney's Mulan. 
Uh, it's going to be the second. It was. It is the second movie ever to be directed by a female with a budget of over a hundred million dollars. Wow. The first was Ava DuVernay with A Wrinkle in Time, I believe. Mm. Um, and this is by Nikki Caro, who is an incredible New Zealand director. She did movies like Whale Rider. Um, she did The Zookeeper's Wife. Um, there was a Kevin Costner one about a run McFarland USA. Uh, uh, so she's done a lot of stuff. Amazing director. And I found out, I auditioned for it last November, and not this last November, the year before that, and I found out around December, but I couldn't say anything until I left, basically. And then after I left, I couldn't even say anything until there was announced, announced, which was like last August. So I waited eight months to tell people, but I was in New Zealand for six months filming this live action adaptation. I play the character of Ling, who if you guys remember the original, there oh, yeah. are three army friends that Mulan has. Uh, one of them looks like Baymax. Uh, one of them is like short with a uh, black eye, and then one of them is like the skinnier middle person that is like always like lovey dovey. And so that is the character that mine is based off of. That's great, dude. Yep. So that was uh, a very intense period of my life. Six months. Um, other people on the cast list that you may recognize. So Mulan is played by a Chinese actress named Crystal Liu or Liu Yifei, who is a very famous Chinese actress. Um, the Emperor is played by Jet Li, everyone's favorite. Oh, snap. And the commander of the army is played by Donnie Yen and then there is another character that is sort of the cohort to the bad guy uh, and she is played by Gong Li who is another really famous Chinese actress and the bad guy is played by Jason Scott Lee who is a famous American actor he played Bruce Lee in Drag- Enter the Dragon uh, Dragon the Bruce Lee story I think is what it's called what was that like what um, that's a that's a that's a question <laughs> that's, a question. that's a broad question. That's a broad question. Hold on, let me. What? That was a throwaway. Hold so on. Imagine, I thought Jackie me, Chan me, was in it too. Jackie Chan is not in it. Jackie Chan's in another movie that I'm doing. Uh, it's what? called What? <laughs> what? Uh, it's gonna be a big year for Jimmy Wong coming up, everybody. Uh, in 2020. Uh, dude, sometimes that, you just gotta get it. Sometimes you just gotta get it, Clint. <laughs> that's what I'm, dude. Yes, I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna start using that. Sometimes, but the, the best part about that sense is that it's just sometimes, right? <laughs> Other <laughs> times, no, no, you can, you don't want to get it. But yeah. sometimes. <laughs> You just gotta get it. <laughs> That's the, the, the sometimes makes that work. It makes Great. it sound like it's just something that you voluntarily do once in a while. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's yeah. You make the decision. Um, so the other movie that I'm in is called Wish Dragon. It's an animated movie by Sony Pictures Animation. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be released worldwide as well. Um, so that's basically a, a modern retelling of the Aladdin story of a boy that finds a lamp. In this case, a uh, a magical teapot that has a genie inside, in this case, a wish dragon. And he spends those three wishes um, trying to reunite with someone in his past. And the wish dragon is Jackie Chan? The wish dragon in the Chinese version is Jackie Chan. In the American version, it's played by John Cho. I feel like this is going to be the good Aladdin. Like, this is going to (laughs) be, like, the good one. Seeing as I represent another Disney movie, I have no comment on the current Aladdin that's coming out. (laughs) And and, and blue Will Smith. (laughs) Dude, he just blew himself. (laughs) I know. I just love the Tobias Funke comparisons (laughs) that come up from Arrested Development. Um, So, yeah. So, Jackie Chan actually has a small voice role in the American version. But his company, Sparkle Roll, or the company he's associated with, Sparkle Roll, had a part in producing it. So, that's why he's going to be a part of the Chinese language version totally totally dude that's that's amazing so this is like for as far as i know i and again my knowledge is limited as an actor but that's what i've heard and know 
dude, it's going to pop off for you. And like, I suppose so. Sometimes you just got to get it, man. Um, do, do you know how distracting it's going to be watching Mulan and seeing you on seeing screen? Me on screen. <laughs> it's going to pull me right out of the film. <laughs> Jimmy, you're ruining my live action Disney experience. <laughs> what are you going to think about? Like what memories are going to come up when you see me just like doing my thing? Dude, just Ted Wong. Like Ted- the, the freaking like... <laughs> I'm going to get so amped, I'm going to scream. And I'm going to be like, I, well, I want to organize a bunch of screenings here in L.A. where we can all go watch it together. Because a lot of the actors live in L.A. too. Um, so we can all go watch it together. Just rant and rave the whole time, dude. Yeah. We'll hoot and holler. We'll hoot, dude. Um, but yeah, so that was an amazing experience, obviously. Not only was the director female, but so was the director of photography, the first AD. It was actually, and the uh, the costume designer. There was a, It was a very much a a female-led uh, and completely Asian cast, right? So, like, that was – it was groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. Mm. Um, and it was really awesome to see it just get put all together because I think everyone had that shared – it's the kind of thing you want where everyone knows they're in it for this thing together. What was know? the hardest day on set? The hardest day on set – there were two really hard days. And, of course, like actors, we were we were spoiled crybabies about both of them. Uh, <laughs> we only had one night shoot. Right. Oh, so really? normally there's a lot of night shoots on movies like this, but there's only a couple of things that times where it need to be nighttime. Um, and one of them we were, it was raining. It was muddy. We had boots on that weren't necessarily fully waterproof. Cause I mean, look, I could have the most waterproof jacket on in the world, but if you soak it in water for long enough, it's not going to be waterproof. <laughs> yeah. And so we kind of got to that point and it sucked because though every time the rain came, you'd have to stop because it would be on camera. You could, you have to wait for the rain to clear. As soon as it did, it's like, all right, everyone, you and 300 other extras, uh, wow. background talent that are soldiers and stuff, everyone shuffle out and get ready to do the scene. Oh, rain's coming down. Crap, shuffle back. You know, so like Dang. that's that's tough as an actor and tough as a crew member too. Of course, as actors, we were like, my feet are wet and cold. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, how about the other 500 people that have been saying this up for six hours, Jimmy? How about, how do you think they feel, huh? <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> uh so that was crazy. It was also the biggest day I've ever been on set. I think there were like 600, 700, maybe even 800 people there that day. Dang. It was crazy. How, how do you people manage that set. many people? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me how you manage that many people. <laughs> Credit goes to Nikki and the first AD and everyone else for figuring it out. Because the shoot still ran with it. They, it. they did what they had to do. They got the shots they needed to get. It was just it was just a long night, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, as someone that's not the lead of a movie, you know, you're – a lot of times you're reacting to stuff. You're trying to be in the moment. Um, so that's tough, too, to, like, keep your mental capacity at a at a pristine level when it's 3 a.m. and you're freezing and all this other stuff. But that's kind of what being an actor is. So I can't actually complain. So it was a hard night, but I think it was one of those character-developing ones. Mm. And obviously huge credit grows to everyone that actually worked really hard <laughs> to make sure it happened and, and went off without a hitch. Was there a place that your mind went to when you were freezing and cold and you're like, I, ha- I have to perform, but, like... Yeah, I think it was just seeing the fact that you are that part of... That twin bunk bed. That twin that bunk thing. bed that you started in. <laughs> I don't know, this maybe goes back to the whole thing that Brandon said when you saw the trailer on set. You know, for me, it was like, not only are you walking onto a set with a trailer, Jimmy, you're walking to a set where 400, 500 other people have been working their asses off to make it so that you can be in front of the camera and you can have your face there. And you're also surrounded by, uh, you know, hundreds of background talent that have been training as well to be a part of this movie and they're all local talent from New Zealand, and they're all Asian, and they all understand just as much that this is an important moment of representation for them and for everyone else that's going to see them on screen. They have pride. They're not complaining. Why the hell are you complaining, Jimmy? You know, so, like, there was a lot of different things that went into it, like the, 
you gotta just you you gotta get rid of any negative thoughts in your head right now because you have to trust the process and trust that everyone out there is doing what they can to make this the best they can, and that you're gonna be a part of that. So you should you know put your best foot forward. And so my mind often went to that place, which is gratitude, um, empathy, and also just like very happy to be there overall because it was unlike anything I've ever done before. And that again was like the the magic of being an actor and seeing a trailer on set. That that moment for me again it's just interesting how different that can be to different people. For me, it was just like this is eat your humble pie, you know. Like, how many people get to do what you're doing right now? Don't, don't. It sucks. You may feel gross. You may get a cold after this. You may be cold. You may be complaining, but it it's the ride. That's what that's what you signed up for, kiddo. Like that's that's what you know. You think that's Leonardo you signed up for, kiddo? <laughs> you think Leonardo DiCaprio was complaining when he got mauled by a bear and had to crawl through the tundras? No, not Leo. Not Leo. So I mean, I think that it's a lot of character formation stuff and. Being able to do a movie with people for six months, right? Like two months of just actual training, meeting with people and learning lines and doing all that stuff. And the other four months were going into straight production. It was honestly like going into war together. And it felt that way because we were being trained as soldiers for a war, you know, and that's what the movie's about. Um, so you did martial arts training, you did horse training, uh, archery? Yeah, like we did all sorts of training. Um, I I can now proudly say that I could ride the hell out of a horse. Dang, uh, dude. Yeah. No saddle? No saddle? No, I want a saddle. Are you kidding me, bro? I'm not going to bareback that thing. That sounds nuts. Uh, I can ride the hell out of a horse. Uh, I'm in the best shape of my life. Um, and, you know, like, those are the things that, like, how could I not be absurdly grateful to the people that helped make that a possibility? Um, you know, and, and throughout the process, I'm seeing my culture – what my parents grew up in, the world they grew up in, represented in across every single aspect, from the production design to the costumes to the to the wardrobe, that's the same as costumes, to the set design, to the weapons, to every single part of it was they had done their research and they did so much research into making this historically accurate and also something that represented the culture that they were doing. Because, like, think about it. Nikki Carlo is a white woman and, and Mandy Walker is the DB is a white woman directing a movie about China, right? Like, yeah. there are so many times where you could be like, that – that's not going to go well, but they took the care and time to make sure that it was fully 100% representative of what they're trying to do and paying respects as well as breaking new boundaries. So that for me, was like a really surreal moment to see someone else reaching out like that and, and really putting their best foot forward. No one's doing it just for a paycheck, right? They're doing it because they want to take pride in the work that they're doing. And as someone that creates stuff and friends with people that create stuff, that's like the best thing you could ask for. So when you've worked with people like I don't know if you had any scenes like Jet Li, for example. Um, I'm assuming you had some scenes with Donnie Yen, considering you're playing a soldier. Yes, I think and you can safely assume that. I won't say yes or no, <laughs> but you can safely assume that as a soldier in the army and as the commander of the army, there are probably scenes where we are close by or near each other. And I'm also going to guess, as playing one of Mulan's friends, you probably have scenes with the lead actress of the piece as well. Correct. Um, having worked with these people that previously to this point were people that you've only seen on the silver screen, you know, these larger than life characters. Yeah. Has it humanized them in a way? Like, do you see them as regular people or do you see them as these like level 20 charismatic bards? (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. I, you know, I came to love every single person I worked with. It was very much like a family where you hate some people, but you love (laughs) them. You know what I mean? Like it's, I'm sure it's the same for you and Sam, right? There are points mm-hmm. when you're just like, ugh, there he goes again, or he does the same for you, but at the end of the day, you would jump in front of a bullet for that man, right? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not, based on that rant, no? A fast-moving baseball, like, fast- a, <laughs> like a 90 mile per hour fast pitch. Nice, nice, Ooh, yeah. That might crack hurt. a couple bones, but it won't actually yeah. murder you. Yeah, yeah, I'm down with that. Um, so getting to interact with all of the cast and crew in that way, I think, was really important because 
it did humanize everyone. Um, you know, we got to spend a lot of time with these people offset when they weren't in work mode, where they weren't there and, you know, focusing on what they needed to do. And obviously everyone needs to take, you know, I think some of the people, some, everyone treated it differently. Some people didn't really like to hang out as much. Other people only went out for special occasions. But when you did, it, it's, you know, I got this question on Instagram the other day and I, I really, I understand why people ask the question, but I detest it, which is like, how does it feel to be famous? <laughs> And for me, that question just, it gets me like, ah, hot and bothered because, you know, now that I've been, so Lily Fei, for instance, she's been doing movies since she was 16 in China. Uh, and she's one of the biggest stars there by far. She has 56 million people that follow her just on her Facebook equivalent. Wow. Right? Like, Logan, <laughs> reality <laughs> check, buddy. Uh <laughs> So, you know, this is the kind of person that we, we would go out occasionally, all of us as a group, maybe to get ice cream or something, and you could just see people having a freak out once they recognize who she was. And mm. this is in New Zealand where there are Chinese people there, but it's not the main population, not by a long shot. So you could tell that there was obviously like that kind of pressure on that person to, you know, maybe that's why they don't want to go out so much is because it's yeah. people would come up and, you know, you, you want pictures, signatures, all that stuff. And you can tell like, ah, oh, it's intrusive. It sucks. And we've all been in that position. But we are in that position when we, like, go to VidCon. Yeah. To places where people know they're going to see us. Or it happens, yeah. like, once a month. Once a month. We happen to, like, be walking through a mall or a place that has our target demographic. This person literally can't go anywhere without people freaking out. Dude, that must that life must be crazy. Yeah, and so when people ask me the question, like, what's it like to be famous? And I've been able to hang out with people that are of all different influential levels and, and different celebrity levels and stuff. I just see humans. I just see people that grew up, were born the same way you and I were, raised in pretty similar settings, you know, suffered the same stuff, maybe had the same embarrassing moments happen mm. to them. And I think at the end of the day, that's a, the takeaway I had about all these people. It's just like at the end of the day, they're just – they're as human as the rest of us. And they, these are people that grew up in a completely different society in China that's completely different culturally in America, but they're still just baseline humans at the end of the day. And I think that's the thing that resonates with me the most when I get asked that question, which is like, I don't want to consider myself more special than any of you because it doesn't make me feel good. And I'm sure it doesn't make you feel good either. No. Like we're all <laughs> in this together. It's the same sort of thing we hearkened back to earlier in the show, which is like, it's all a group effort here, guys. Like we're all humans. <laughs> we're all going to feel the same way a lot, a lot of stuff. And ultimately like empathy is the thing that I that I learned a lot from hanging out with these quote unquote mega stars. That's know? awesome. That, like they're just as human as the rest of us. They like to laugh, love and enjoy life and, you know, talk about things and interact and not be treated or put on a pedestal. I think where you get a lot of what happens with divas is that people put, you know, celebrities and stuff on a pedestal and start letting them get away with things. And as a result, that deteriorates their behavior over a longer time. And, uh, you know, from what I could tell hanging out with these people that, you could always see elements of how that's happened, and you can also just see that they're humans at the end of it. And if you yeah. treat them like a human, you're gonna you're gonna just blow right past all of the things that may have created bad behaviors in people. And I even felt myself going down the diva route. Right, mm -hmm. you are. I was number eleven on the cast list, I think. Um, and who knows that might change. These things always switch around, but. It was enough that people knew who I was whenever I walked in anywhere. And if I asked for something, I generally got it. Wow. Wow. So, and, you know, I felt myself going down the road very slightly and I completely, I was very quickly, I was like, whoa, I can't do that anymore. Whereas <laughs> like, I'd walk into a place or I'd need something and I asked for it in a way that was not Jimmy. Yeah. You know, I asked for it in a way that was like actor that needs his thing. My <laughs> shoes are too tight. My feet hurt. They're cold. You know, that sort of stuff that like normally you would just like you, 
the, I think a lot of the times it was just I had to see other things happening for me to realize in context of my own actions how it how I was like oh I don't like how the how I acted in that way. For instance, on that night it was really cold and wet and rainy. All these other people behind me, hundreds of people that have been training and are doing it for you know low pay uh, comparatively, right to what like the the big shots were ever going to make. Uh, and they're all there, not complaining, smiles on their faces, interacting with each other, having a blast. They're working on an incredible movie, and here I am, you know, in my little actor circle, being like, "Ah, this is sucky." And it's like <laughs> I don't want to be like that, dude. What yeah. a check, man! You turn yeah. behind you, and so there's 300 people who are just like happy. There's <laughs> there like, were a lot of checks, honestly, doing a movie like this on this scale for the first time. And I would say I'm pretty used to production, right? I've done a lot of different things on different sizes. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been on different movie sets, TV sets, all that stuff. And this being in another foreign country was just something unlike I'd ever experienced before. So there are a lot of times where I felt embarrassed about how I acted in a scenario and felt, you know what, I, you know what, I didn't handle that right at all. How can I make amends? How can I make it better? Hmm. And a lot of the time it was just do your job, bro. Yeah, we hired you for a reason. Do that job. Try not try to make it easier for everyone. Sure, but ultimately you're here to do that job. So yeah. try and do that. And I think that was the the big takeaway I got from all that. That's cool, man. I like it makes me really happy to hear you say that. Um, cause I mean, you're one of my best friends oh, and <laughs> like to see, to see my friends like with that awareness and that level of humility, like that, that's awesome. I really respect that. That's, that's great. It's tough. I think one of the things I learned too, is we trained intensely for two straight months before we even went into filming. And we're talking some of the hardest physical training I've ever done in my life. Uh, they would, you might say they made a man out of me. <laughs> uh, the, um, I learned that so much of the battle that we fight is mental. Um, cause a lot of times our trainer would, we're working out crazy, right? And then trainer would go up to you and I, let's say Clint, imagine you're in one of your really hard workouts, you, you, mm-hmm. or a yoga class where you are at the breaking limit. Yeah, uh, totally. Clint, on a scale of one to 10, where are you? 10 being you've passed out. Uh, I've been to like an eight. An eight? Yeah, like okay. about to throw up. If I keep going, I'll throw up or something. Like I'd that. say that's close to like nine, ten if you're about to throw up. Okay. So uh, let's say that you had just started doing yoga and I asked you the same question. Clint, where are you right now? One to ten. Oh, I'm at a ten right now. Like I'm maxed out. Right. So what? when we first started asking that question to us, we were like, oh, he's doing it so that he can we can tell him where we feel mm. and engage it. Yeah. But what I realized over time is that he wasn't asking the question for him to know. Is a top level trainer coach. He knows exactly what you're going through and what your limits are. He's asking because he wants to know where you're putting yourself at that exact moment. Yeah. Right. So like if you think I'm at a ten, he's like, This kid's at a five. But okay, <laughs> that's what he thinks. That's yeah. and that's his mental state, and that's where I have to work as a coach slash trainer to get them to wherever they need to go. I learned a lot through that training, which is just like you are the person that is truly in control of yourself if you in situations like that, right? Like your brain could push you to not do anything and to stop and quit, or it could be the thing that drives you to completely blow whatever you're doing out of the water and put your absolute best foot forward. And that if you wanted to bring yourself to a nine or a 10, you could. What is holding you back from doing it? It's often yourself. So that was like one of the big takeaways I learned from that. And I and I think that applied to the more I trained, the better I got at realizing that I was either acting out of line or being inconsiderate or being, you know, a diva in whatever aspect. A lot of that training helped me realize that. Hmm. And that honestly, like you, if you put your mind to something, you can accomplish it. And it's like sounds so cheesy to say, like the the corniest thing in the world. But it's like one of those things that it, unless you really took your, like I found myself at the absolute breaking point of my spirit and body multiple times. And I found out that I could push myself past that. That's awesome, dude. Right? And so that lesson is something that I will apply for the rest of my life, which is like there will be times when things get real bad 
And this is why I particularly empathize with people that have um, like depression or anxiety because I'm saying all this stuff. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish it. Whereas there are a lot of people out there where like, I have an actual chemical imbalance in my brain where that is not possible sometimes. So that makes me really empathize with people with those kind of like mental issues, health issues. And, but it's something that I'm going to try and apply for the rest of my life and at least preach to other people, which is like, it really is a battle between you and your own mind. When you are losing and when you're stopping a workout, who's winning? Who's, who are you letting take control? And it's often your brain telling you, I don't want to do this anymore. So for me, it's like that was a, a big part of learning. Okay, Jimmy, you acted out of line here. How can you make this better? How can you control yourself? How can you make sure that you don't take the same missteps that you did last time and, and reframe this? It's all in your head, right? Your head drives your action. Hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like I was saying earlier. I'm reading the uh, this book by an ex Navy SEAL, David Goggins, mm-hmm. and this dude is insane. And he's talking about all the SEAL training, how he's pushed to the brink constantly, yeah. and like yeah, yeah, yeah. running on broken shins and and whatnot. <laughs> and like it's all in the game, like it, or it's, it's it's all in his head. And like the game for him is um, training his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and it's it, the mind. it was mind training. And our our, our trainer slash coach harped on that constantly. You know? Yeah, I believe it, man. That's awesome. Like, and the big thing he would always say is focus on yourself. In workouts, we we do group workouts, and we'd all be there, and we'd all be like, "Oh, this is hard." But the moment that we would turn the other person, and be like, "Yeah, nice job, nice," he'd be like, Shh, "Stop! What are you? Why are you congratulating that person? Focus on yourself. Why are you? You're, are you done working? Well, why don't you? Why don't you do five more? Come on! Like, don't waste your time focusing on someone else and congratulating them and make them feel better. Leave that to them." Mm. Right. This is a personal journey for all of you. Yes. And you're going to be better. Com- the camaraderie is going to be better if you all get to that point together that you have figured out how to control your own mind and get to that point. And then you can like really, you know, you can you guys can hang out the moment the training is done. You guys can go get dinner. You can go laugh you can get a drink, do whatever you want. But the, when you're in the training, focus on yourself, focus on what makes you what, what works for you, what doesn't and, and try to make yourself better in that moment. That's awesome. So that was a, another great takeaway. That's su- such a unique experience that you had on yeah that. hopefully more hopefully more to come dude. hopefully more and i think you know the reason i really wanted to do this podcast is because i like getting the word out and telling people about things that i've learned that's the reason i do a magic the gathering podcast is that it's a informative way to provide value to people mm-hmm. and i think podcasts are one of the you know best ways to tell people in the world about something that you learned help maybe change the culture a little bit by hammering a point home the it we all have to contribute in some way sometimes sometimes you just gotta get just it. Gotta get. <laughs> <laughs> on the quartercast, find us at youtube.com slash quartercast with Sam and Nico. Is that I'm, my, I'm Clint I'm Clinton. And Clinton. My name's Clinton. <laughs> YouTube.com slash my name's Clinton. YouTube.com slash quartercast. YouTube.com slash quartercast. YouTube.com that slash quarter. YouTube quartercast.com. Quartercast.com slash YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Like food, water, mm-hmm. shelter, and all the way at the top, that little keystone at the tip top of that pyramid is fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Are you standing on top of that pyramid right now? <laughs> um, I would like to think so, yeah. If you quit acting tomorrow, would you walk away from this from this being like, you know what? I did it. Yes, I think so. I, when I first moved to L.A. in 2011, I told myself I'd give myself 15 years to break it as an actor. And I was like, if I can't make it in 15, I think that's a long enough time to not be naive and say, like, I'm going to do it in the next two years. 
um, I think that's it was the right amount of time to say like, okay, if I'm not finding real success as an actor by this point, then I, I'll just do something else. I'll figure out what other my passions are. Um, and I'm going to try and formulate those passions while I'm here in LA. And a lot of that has been content creation, music, uh, hosting, a lot of that stuff. And I found a lot of success in different realms like hosting. Um, I've done, you know, I've been able to host live events at PAX. I've been able to host cooking shows and food travel vlogs across the world and do a bunch of different things in that world. I've been able to act in stuff like Video Game High School and now Mulan and I've been able to voice act in things like Wish Dragon. So I think in terms of my personal fulfillment, which is, you know, like I would say my six-year goal is to have a real lasting impact uh, for Asian male representation. Um, and as an actor, I think my goal would be win an Oscar as a, a best actor Asian, like be the first Asian male to win an Oscar mm-hmm. uh, as an actor. That'd be amazing. Um, and so I think for me, fulfillment is is taking the things that I've learned and what I have in my life and being able to change the world in a significant and meaningful way that makes it uh, better for other people. Uh, specifically for you know young me growing up who didn't have the kind of role models that my friends did i had all my role models for the romance stuff were white pretty Mm -hmm. much like i loved james bond i loved rocky right like i loved all these sort of heroes and icons and uh for me i love jackie chan too obviously i love jet lee i loved all those old kung fu flicks but it was about the fighting. It was about the martial arts that they did. And it wasn't about the connection with a human or that, that sort of like Western humanistic element that it's in a lot of our cinema. Mm. So I think my real fulfillment is going to come from being able to change the world in a way that lets young kids that look like me and have a cultural identity similar to me grow up and say, cool, that's something that makes me more confident because, you know, I've seen someone else do it and it's been told in stories already. Mm-hmm. You know, I was severely unconfident when it came to talking to like women and girls in high school, I looked young. I, you know, I, I went, I didn't eat the food that they ate. Um, my same here, Jimmy. Yeah. 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 Same. But a lot for a lot of that, you know, for me, it, it wasn't helped by the fact that I couldn't model myself or I didn't feel like I had a real model role model for me that looked like me. And I know it sounds silly if it doesn't happen to you um, or if you don't feel it in the same way. But I think a lot, I think that is a real problem for a lot of people. And especially like, I think young women too, growing up um, for the longest time, like think about, and Disney's done a great job to their credit of changing the stereotype of like before they were just helpless princesses that would mm-hmm. get kidnapped and forced into this or that, or would be asleep for a thousand years till a guy came and kissed them, you know? And with movies like Moana and Frozen, they've changed that paradigm to empower young women. And I think you've already seen the impacts that that has in society in terms of, you know, like, that's the thing that always makes me laugh, which is like, if you can't even represent 50% of your society in a, <laughs> in a good way, how the heck are we going to get to the minorities? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that taking that step first in terms of having strong female figures, and that's why I've always loved Studio Ghibli movies, is because all those main characters are strong, independent women. Um, I think that's the one of the cornerstones of of making a better world for everyone is find first get your representation right for the largest largest chunk of society because um, women technically I think are like fifty point something slightly higher percentage wise and that might be due to evolution just to make sure that we'll always have more kids moving forward <laughs> um, and more you know offspring because that's where it comes from uh, but I think like if you can't even get that part of representation right then you're not going to be able to unlock the other ones past that so that's like my fulfillment is knowing that. I was able to be a part of this movie and like with Mulan with that has an incredible 
female representation than like a strong young woman that goes out to fight for her family's honor and take her father's place in the army and prove to everyone that it's not about male female it's about you know what your virtues are and how are you going to apply that to real life like that i think is like woo, can't wait and it's asian like it's everything that i was hoping for growing up i remember when my grandma first saw mulan the animated version she came away from it upset visibly upset well, because this is a story that was told throughout her childhood of a of the hers like sort of Joan of Arc esque character, a huge hero in Chinese history, and it was turned into her like a, a mockery of that. You hmm. know, there was a talking dragon, there was you know music and songs and merriment and dance and all these cultures and traditions that were very valuable to her as a child growing up and were taught to her, but seen in a cartoony way. And I think that was a you know a what happened because of the time period it was the 90s a lot of the cartoons were like i mean look at shrek for instance like you know we made movies that were more silly and animated and stuff because that's just kind of what the entertainment status was or value was of that kind of movie and so i think being able to revisit that story and retell it in a way that i know my grandma if she was still alive would see it would be happy with like that means a lot to me too so i think in terms of being personally fulfilled it's being a lot of boxes are being checked off but i still haven't gotten to the point where i'm like i really have done it i think you're right. If I retired tomorrow, I'd be like, I had a great run. That was awesome. I, I ended on a bang. Mm-hmm. But I want to end on bangers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Saga, nah. You know, sometimes you just got to get just it. Just got to get it. <laughs> um, so that's, I mean, I think that's those are my ultimate goals is to really change the societal status for Asians in general. You know, I, I hate the stereotypes that are made of Asian people. I hate the fact that we still, you know, mock and have so many racist incidents happening all the time. You know, I hate the fact that Logan Paul, who was on this very podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ran to Japan and disrespected the hell out of that culture. Mm-hmm. Like, that's absurd. And the fact that millions of kids watch him and went, that's great. I love that. I want to be like that. You know, like, let's move past that. It's not, It's not. you know, we're an international community. And the internet has bound the whole world together in a lot of ways. So we should try and be better to the rest of the world. I Respectful. think that's a great yep. closing thought here. What's your podcast so if you guys like magic the gathering or want to see multiplayer magic the gathering gameplay you can look up the command zone podcast command zone or look up game nights and that's nights with a k on it and you'll find all those episodes online if you guys like cooking and food and want to see foods from like spongebob squarepants or anime and movies made into real life you can look up feast of fiction um now just called feast Hmm. you can find all that stuff online you can follow me on twitter Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, those are my main two outlets of activity right now are the Command Zone and Feast of Fiction. So if you guys want more of me, you can find it there. Great. Jimmy, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank thanks. you so much for yeah, joining dude. us. Thanks, the best, man. I really I appreciate it. Guys, thanks for watching. I really appreciate you guys sticking around. Jimmy's one of my very best friends, so it was a pleasure to have him on the podcast and also to see you guys recommend uh, Jimmy in the comments. If you have anyone else you guys would want to see interviewed on the Corridor cast, please leave a name down in the comments. We'll reach out. We'll find a way. We will find a way, guys. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Corridor cast. Uh, hit the little bell notification thing as well so you guys know when we're doing another podcast. Until next time, I'm Clinton Jones, and I'll see you guys. <laughs>